What's up? What's down? What's down? Maybe that could be the new thing you ask people, new phrase. The earth, grubs, worms, flowers, all that good stuff. You know, in this in this day and age where people are kind of all scattered and ungrounded, you could just, you know, what's down? A little gentle reminder for them to uh, to check in and root themselves. I, uh, I'm happy that we're going to be outside today doing this show. That's like awesome. You know, just being out in the nice fresh air on the earth, you know, rooted down totally plastered to the, (laughs) to the grass, grass plastered. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm expecting this to be a long episode because, uh, Scott and I, we, we talk for a long time when we hang out, we, we get into it, we go for it. Okay. And, uh, you're going to join us on that little adventure. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited. And, um, this will be brought to you by every letter of the alphabet. I'm guessing we'll probably use every letter in this, in this episode. If we don't, you know, maybe not a Q, if a Q doesn't show up, You can reach out to me for a free, how about this? How about a free giveaway or something? I don't know, something like that. I can't believe I'm going to do this. I'm also going to uh, plug, because our sponsor is the Alphabet, um, I'm also going to just plug that I I started a Patreon here doing this. So you can can check that out. Find it, Bradford Trojan, that Patreon. I don't know, whatever. It's it's not about the money, man. Um, I, I'm really enjoying doing these. So that's that's the first and foremost. I, I'm really having fun doing these episodes. They are a lot of good times. And, and I love it. One of our cool, like we had an AM radio station here, cool 1450 in Tucson years ago. It's It since has, it still plays oldies, but it's changed. For a while, it was like a comedy AM station, which was awesome. They were just playing like old comedy records and stuff like that. But Good Times, Great Oldies was their tagline. And I'm hoping that this will carry into my show as it will become Good Times and Great Oldies. Because, you know, we're taking a little uh, trippy trip down memory lane here in a lot of these episodes. Scott and I, man, Scott McMicken, you may know him as singer, guitarist of the acclaimed national rock group, Dr. Dog. He is, uh, gosh, he has a treasure trove of material that he's recorded over these many decades. Awesome, awesome music. He is um, so amazing recording artist. I actually think he's the best guitar player I've ever met or have known or a bigger picture I've really ever seen. (laughs) Um, Amazing visual artist, really amazing. I love Scott's artwork and all around good guy. Very, very generous and fun and funny, a fun and funny guy. So knowing that we're probably going to go really long here on this show, because that's Scott and I, go the distance when we hang out. We, t- we talk for a long time. I'm um, just going to have a strap in and strap on and 
well, maybe, <laughs> maybe not strap on, but uh, strap in and enjoy the ride, okay? And I'll see you on the other side. Here we are. Let's hear that again. I like that. Well, let's start here. All right. Okay. And where are we going to end up in the show? Well, with any luck, we'll get all the way up there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. So basically, this is going to be a format of like a xylophone journey. We'll move in intervals through That's... our life, through yes. our times, yeah, through our hearts and minds. Yes. I love that. Intervals. Um, some, And it's all, I think it's all going to be pretty positive and uh, like major chord vibes well i might get a little sultry in a few minutes once we get up into this modal realm i, I won't well that that Uh-oh. is yeah that college area. years <laughs> college years <laughs> um <laughs> up to because the the whole scale is not going to be there because we're not we're not done the journey true so this is just true. up to this point is the this is our xylophone mm-hmm. up to now this is but the future's bass note <laughs> At some point, it'll be like um, in the old cartoons where they just they peel back their like skin and then they start playing on the xylophone oh, or yeah. like or teeth of like uh, a hippo. Oh man, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> that is, you saw that set of temple blocks at my house that I got a while a while back. Yeah. I think that's what was used for a lot of that stuff in the cartoons. The tuned wooden temple blocks they call them. Oh yeah. I got those things and I've been using them a ton on songs and just like the sound of them, like a basically like a like a wooden cowbell kind of it's got that heavy yeah. impactful resonance but it's wooden so it's more like it's got more of a softer and you can and then I can sample them and I can tune those samples so it gives me a range of like notes even wider than the five bells that sit on the little thing so yeah anyway it makes me think of those yeah playing the hippo teeth and, <laughs> and playing your rib cage and stuff it, it's a great sound play your rib cage <laughs> that was uh those steamboat willies um amazing mm-hmm. they were getting so much out of those cartoons oh man you know like the pioneering and the sounds oh my god yellows the yellow zones we're not there yet we're not there yeah we're not in the yellow zone <laughs> But I just did, I just was, uh, you know, we're outside here in the backyard. It's great. It's a beautiful day. And, um, you know, like. I Brad's just, got a great yard. He always has had a great yard. There's a tortoise back here. There's an earth stove. Was that yeah. what? Uh, yeah, earth, earth oven. Earth oven. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the earth oven's there. Lots of cool gardening and little garden zones. He's got one of these um, out exterior. He's got his uh, washing machine outside, which is probably one of the most exciting things about living in Arizona oh, it's so doing good. your laundry or showering outside um, he's got this little deck I mean your whole scene back here reminds me of like cabin boy or something it's Dude. like the set from like uh, <laughs> shanty town 
<laughs> and now with Verna's doctor's office and uh, all of her <laughs> xylophones and stuff, it's uh, mini it's a, kitchen out here. What about the tortoise? Kitchen. What's his uh, tortoise? Her deal right she, now? She's uh, Korma. She is um, in her burrow. So she's been in her burrow since around October. Oh, and wow. um, she'll, I bet she'll come out in maybe April, something mm, like that. Cool. So she's just taking a nice nap. And she's probably about like, you know, I think she's like 30. A little over 30. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I love that. It's so crazy. She's my younger sister, basically. She's, yeah. And I think she's in like maybe mid-30s, to be honest, right now. That's incredible. It's crazy. How old are are they? Do you think she'll live to be? I think she could go up to be like 100 or something. Wow. Yeah. Uh, The the desert tortoise don't live as long as the Galapagos tortoi. But the desert tortoises are... um, yeah, and they don't get as big. They're just yeah. kind of big. Is she full grown? Do you think? I think she could get a little bigger, but she's pretty full grown. She's a good hand. She's large. Yeah, yeah you got like got a hand half size. A basketball. Yeah, I'm holding her right now, like the basketball size, probably yeah. about a basketball, flat basketball. That's cool. A deflated basketball. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so she's there. Cats are lingering around. It's nice because it, it's just like the the outdoor studio, you know. Mm-hmm. This is the oh, yeah, for I'm, sure. I'm right yeah. in front of um, a compost pile, which <laughs> yeah. is nice. Like right before we started, nice Amanda just threw out like a stink bit. lines around your stink head. Lines. There's a lot of flies. Flies swarming. Um, yeah, we got to be careful of the stink lines. If you start to see stink lines, then yeah. I know I'm in trouble. I see stink lines everywhere I go. <laughs> it's part of my lot in life. <laughs> in this dank city right there. It's, uh, there's a lot of stink lines in the world. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're having a good one here out, out in the, in the greens, the greens, the gardens, uh, we do, this is basically reverse garden time for like back East, you know, it was always yeah. do the gardens in the summer here. It's full on winter. We actually get a lot done. Yeah. Got our lettuces and collards and kales and cilantro and the snap peas that I just, they started flowering. That's so nice. Citrus. You guys have any citrus trees here? We don't have citrus here, but our neighbor has an amazing yeah, orange right. and I see grapefruit that. tree that we're always welcome to. Abundance tree over there. Yeah. Yeah. Major, major citrus, cool. big citrus, fat. Fat grapefruit. Fat. <laughs> it's a big, fat, meaty grapefruit. Um, yeah, so that's... And uh, what do you think of the fact that I live right around the corner from you after all these years? Well, so that is what is just so trippy, you know? Like, we're going to talk about where we met and everything, but we're going... So we go back now about 23 years, mm. okay? And wow. push it to... Here we are, 2021. 25 now. Yeah, 25. So we've just been babies, basically. We're just 25-year-olds. And uh, so, yeah, you're like five blocks away in the hood. I know. It's so weird, man. I mean, not just between you and I, but this town in general. I mean, mean, I've spent time here at your house. Like, yeah. At this very same house nearly two decades ago. I mean, there's so many chapters (laughs) And yeah. our long friendship together, and the fact that it has all culminated in just a couple of awesome old buds doing all right, living yeah. around the corner from each other. It's great. It's, uh, it's a strange turn of events, especially in my mind, just because I never foresaw, yeah, people, like moving out here. You know, right? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't either. I just, you know, and, yeah. So the like, you had experiences in Tucson that were, um, you know, when you're dating Sharon, it's like coming out here, and then uh, you didn't. You didn't want to be in Tucson. 
Right. You just were, no. No, no yeah, I, there was like, yeah, I kind of hated this town for yeah. a while. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, that part uh, that was part of my, uh, I mean, you no know. Offen- it was a no bit offense, of, Tucson. No offense, Tucson. Yeah, I mean, it had nothing to do with Tucson. It was just my experiences there at the mm-hmm. tail. Yeah, like with Sharon moving out here and like we were just younger, different life yeah. time then, you know. It was like, yeah. Um, I just had all these associations with um, this town. And, um, but I mean, even before moving out here, a lot of that had dissipated, but yeah, yeah, it's worth mentioning that there was a period where I was like coming here, but totally miserable, like a real low point and, uh, staying at your house during a lot of that. Yes. And, um, yeah, this same very house. Yeah. Animal Fun Park was the original name of this house. Was it? Before I moved in. Oh man. Wow. Yeah. Animal Fun Park. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. It hadn't changed much. No, it's kind of the same. Yeah. yeah. So that was the, um, yeah, that was like that. I remember that time, you know, there's, there's all these eras. And for me being in Tucson, there's all these eras since I've been here now, like 18 years almost coming off the East coast and, um, you know, time high, low points, all, all, all abound. Yeah, sure. It's just how yeah. it goes. And that you know, when you have those associations to places, the bees coming right over here, should I just open yeah. my mouth and see if we'll come in and <laughs> Drop some nectar in there, <laughs> and then it's in there. <laughs> All right, back to the hive you go. All right, that feels good. It didn't, didn't sting. Um, that's actually cool. I think you can hear it in the microphone. Okay. <laughs> He's literally wow. buzzing right around the mic. It's the B one. Yeah, and th- you know what's? F- this is really funny because um, what what that bee right there is is the killer bees. Do you oh, remember yeah. this in University the University of Arizona? Yeah. Well, the the University of Arizona. It, actually, what what happened was the University of Arizona. Maybe you're thinking about the mosquitoes that got released. Oh, okay. I'm thinking which the mosquitoes did, and the mosquitoes got released here, and now we have mosquitoes because of effed up project at the U of A. So uh, shame on you, University people, that you released mosquitoes into this environment. We did not want it. Mm. So bad. I'm going to scold them. Um, but the, the bees, when I was little, I don't remember this being back east, but I was terrified of killer bees. Hmm. Do you remember? Do you have had that feeling? In Haddonfield, I just remember I was like, oh, my God, the killer bees are coming. And I'd hear about that in the 80s. It was like the killer bees. I was never scared of bees, I don't think. Oh, I th- well, I got stung a bunch. I was scared of slugs. You got scared of slugs? Yeah. Oh, interesting. But I didn't think that they were killer. <laughs> Just a I banana just stand slug. the sight of them. Oh, just scary. Okay, the sight. Yeah. The bees were terrified. I got stung a bunch. I got stung by a hive when I was younger that was underground, oh, which just does not it. seem fair. You know, you step on a, the ground in the forest and then these bees shoot up at you. Are you barefoot? No, I was just walking along. Oh, they shot like, all up. Yeah, they just you. shot up and then it was like out of the ground. I'm like, that's not fair. That's not part of the rules. Um, but the... Uh, how you feeling right now? You, you still got some it's, terror about the... Literally. I'm, I'm sitting here watching Brad try to talk and while a bee just circles his head. Oh, it'll give me a good chance to equalize the uh, mics. But uh, it's literally, yeah, it's right... It's yeah, he won't my, leave you alone. I it's, think he wants to be intrigued. on the show. Yeah. Oh, I think he wants me to talk to him about his, his experience mm-hmm. being a bee. I think he's advanced things one interval. <laughs> I think we're up to the, the pink slide there. Um, so... There's two now. Okay. Oh shit! Okay. He went and crawled in some troops. Wow. <laughs> See, I feel they're like bad. We're gonna talk about the killer bees. We're gonna show you <laughs> <laughs> the bees. <laughs>
Yeah, this this is getting. There's actually a third one. No way. Are you serious? You. Oh no, that's just a giant fly from the <laughs> from the, the stink lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! They're like, you want to joke about us going in your mouth and well, buzzing yeah. around? Meanwhile, they're not giving me the time of day. <laughs> no. What's going on with me here? What happened? Interesting. Sweet honey glaze. Um, so what the... can you do about this? <laughs> So yeah. I, I literally just had to stop because there was so there was a swarm here coming. Yeah, um, they're around, but they're uh, being a bit more respectful. Come on, be cool, be cool. <laughs> the killer bees, though, and this is great because it's like these are the killer bees. That's the point of the story. Is what I was scared of growing up were these bees. They're Africanized bees that are here. They came up from Mexico, and. This is the killer bee. Mm. And the killer bee is just a little more aggressive. They're just a little more like they'll push the envelope. Gotcha. But other than like... And are they actually lethal? Or does that just refer to like their effect on... They are if you... I've heard some stories where if you're some farmers and some instances where they're they're out and if they hit like a hive or something, they'll like really get you oh if you get enough yeah hits, yeah but it's not it's not common it's not like they're going around swarming around being like we're gonna kill this person and right you know, take him out <laughs> assassinate him um no and and uh and they're also one of the first times when i moved here i was biking down the street at our old house and i saw this like cloud i thought it was just like a dust devil or something one of those coming at me um and i got closer and there was this cloud of bees it was a swarm of these bees mm. of killer bees yeah and i just biked right through it and they started like attaching themselves and then flying off <laughs> so when they're swarming and moving hives they're very harmless okay which made me feel good but i remember someone across the street like watched it all happen and i like i got out of the swarm and then they like i looked over and they were just like mouth was gaping open Whoa, yeah and i was like i can't believe that just happened but it was i couldn't do anything swarm. i was literally came right up onto them and you know so they're fine i love bees mm. little plug for ble- bees here is to I love the bees <laughs> pollinate make gardens that's that's good you know it's good stuff so we like the bees um yeah so anyway we have this tucson world right but we go back way far far away far away back east mm-hmm. in college <laughs> <laughs> and that's where i first met you was um well 98 98 at westchester university yeah, man wow yeah because that was the year i came back that was the year i got there really I, I i had been living in pennsylvania um in chester county went to high school moved away my senior year of high school to connecticut and then after I graduated from high school in Connecticut, went to college for my fr- freshman year in Boston, mm. which, uh, and then after my freshman year of Boston, moved back to Pennsylvania and started up at Westchester, which I guess was your freshman year there. That was freshman year. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I met you that quickly, like as far as like you, it you were you that you had just gotten there. And I had just gotten there, and it was like, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was. It was fast, you know, because I'm, uh, I'm definitely will put myself out there, you know, and like. Oh man, I can remember you so vividly, Brad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you. Uh, well, yeah. What was your first big encounter? eye? Yeah, the big eyes, and you had uh, 
that cool hat, like that newsy style cap you'd oh. wear, that sort of Jersey punk kind of vibe. Yes, yes, totally. I was going into that like zone. Like a pork of, pie. Or it's pork. not a pork pie hat, but it's like in that family. <laughs> pork pie, porky pig hat. <laughs> pork pie family of hats. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that, that was great. I mean, I heard you and Andrew and Rory talking on that podcast a little bit about how you kind of came into our house and how you met Scott Weaver first. And, yeah, Balls and Scott. Was, and Yeah. So you can reference those other shows if you want, if you're out there. You can talk to Scott Weaver one of these days, you think? Yeah, I think I one. totally. I wish totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, there's just so many I want to talk to. It's just, you know, it's it's out of, out of control. Yeah. <laughs> but he would be, uh, he would be a good one to talk he's, to. Yeah, you met him, you met John, and, and, then the, and then you ended up in our house. And they introduced him. And brought me back in to uh to the the pirate house yeah yeah <laughs> and uh yeah that was cool man i mean i remember we immediately bonded on music you were really into johnny cash in those days yes as well as the punk stuff yeah um but i remember that because you had that great johnny cash impression you probably still do yeah because i'm <laughs> i haven't been singing much recently i'm johnny cash there it is. It's there. It's you know, it's a bassy <laughs> bass notes. You know, yeah. Um, <laughs> and you were writing some songs, kind of in that vein. I was thinking this morning about how you wrote that song, Faces. That was know? the first. I feel like that was the first song. That was the first like real song. I well, ever that's wrote. what I. Re- that's why I remember because there was this air around it. Like I wrote my first song, guys. Yeah. Here it yeah. is, my first song. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> That yeah. that's great. I mean, I remember I remember that feeling when I wrote my first song. There's like this moment where you're like, yeah, you know. Of course, there was like your life prior to having ever written a song, and then next thing you know, you wrote a song, and it's like yeah. a it's a notable thing to do. And uh, I remember that for for the you, and I remember one. that song. Um, and I was thinking how it's funny how that your very first song, you know, is like this real paranoid fit, totally. you know, this kind of anxious <laughs> meltdown. <laughs> Via song, which is uh, you know real true. It's to like you. a little a little uh, hints of schizo in there. Yeah, you know? little hints just of a schizo. Little, little dab of it. You're just like oh, the faces. Yeah, they're they're everywhere. They're yeah. What was your first song? And so you're laughing. And the laugh. Yeah, they're yeah. laughing at me. They're smiling at me. Yeah, they're. Madness. They look so uh, curiously. Yeah, a little less like Mysterious, threatening, but, but in a bad way. Yeah, like something's out there. The what shadow we don't line. know is a threat. Yes, in many regards, <laughs> in this reality, yeah. of Bradford. <laughs> Well, so what was your first one? What was your first song that you remember? Like the real one, the real mm, first, the real one. Because there are, there obviously, you know, yeah, I was writing like Man, punk that's, songs. Uh, that's hard to that that actually is a little hard to say. I mean, the as far as like what I would call like a real one, but I remember more more the moment where uh, like that moment we're talking about, where you where you you're you're kind of self aware about the fact that you've written a song, regardless yeah. of the song or anything. I remember that in middle school, um, and I remember the song was called Red Dawn, which there was a movie, the movie, yeah, the, with the communists take over the like country town, yeah, and the kids like have to fight back, yeah. Dude. I don't know the movie really well, but I knew it then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote a war song about it. Wow. And uh, it was just an intense. I remember there were a lot of lyrics. I can I can see the page. I can't remember any of it. And I don't remember what it sounded like or the chords. And I, I had no way of recording anything at yeah. that time. That was like seventh grade or so. So there's no, um, nothing, nothing to to remember it by but uh but i just mostly remember that feeling of like oh man i wrote a song yes 
But yeah, it was about about a, it was a war song called <laughs> Red Dawn. Red Dawn, man, that's a crazy. That's a pretty crazy movie. It's kind of intense. I feel like the eighty. Yeah, and I, I saw it a long time ago. But it's just like yeah, it's like these kids are like having to. They're getting like killed and they're fighting back. I can't. Th- I think kids? it's Russia. Yeah, they're like teenagers and having to like fight Russian like people taking over their town and stuff. Oh, cool. It's pretty cool. Though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so that was, uh, yeah, like seventh grade for you. Yeah. That's that pretty is, early. Yeah, that's writing. pretty early. Like a real, the real song, you know? I yeah. But about. I mean, it's not like I just popped out and that was what was happening. That happened. And then I don't think I was really writing any more songs. I mean, um, and then like I moved to Pennsylvania in eighth grade. That's when I met Toby, our mutual friend, Toby. Yeah. And, um, and that's when the songwriting really started because, and really because of him, he, he was really, he kind of facilitated that in that when we first met, I think he was like drawn to the fact that I played guitar. I I think Mm. he thought that was cool at that time. Yeah. In eighth grade, you know, it's like, cause I mostly, I say that cause I remember like the day we really first hung out and then he found out I played guitar and he he was into it. He was like, you got to go home and get your guitar and come over. So after school. I went home, we lived close, and I went home and got my guitar and went back to his house, and um, he really wanted to see my guitar and hear me play it and stuff. So I remember that was like a, a thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and really what we started doing was I would play chords, I would just sort of fumble through open chords and stuff, and he would just sing and make stuff up. And he always, A, Toby's a naturally great singer, and yeah. he always has been, He's and he was always comfortable singing, yeah. even at that young age. And B, he's great, like, freestyler, you know? He can just come up with stuff off the dome. And, mm. um, you know, he's, he's, still, he's still like that in both regards today. So, But, you know, eighth grade version of Toby, too, was uh, capable of that. So I'd strum chords, and he would just start winging it, but it would be great. Sometimes yeah. it'd be funny. Other times it was just really good. Um, and it kind of, you know, but then, like, I remember thinking, like, all this great stuff was happening, but he was winging it. And it was just gone, you know? Hmm. And so I tried to cut, start to wrangle things. And we would try to, like, I would try to write stuff down. Or, you know, the, the process of songwriting was kind of born out of that. Like, trying to capture some of these moments where we'd be improvising together. Um, and so that went on for a little while. And then, but not long. I mean, within a couple months of us hanging out, he got a bass. Yeah. And um, that was on Halloween, I believe. It was on Halloween oh, of cool. eighth grade. Oh, wow. Um, at Westchester Music Store, um, which was a great music store. That's where I bought my uh, Epiphone dot. Oh, really? And amp. Yeah. I think I got What, like back th- when you were in college there? Yeah. Well, I think it was like traffic jam time when I was like, I'm going to upgrade to like, you know, from like whatever the... I think I had the like, Epiphone. I had, I had an Epiphone. Like and, Les Paul style. You had yeah, like a, that. Yeah. And then I remember in the Bastards, it was this, I had that like Solvetech big stack. Oh, yeah, amp, yeah. And I was like, I don't need all this. <laughs> yeah, you do. And so, yeah, I did. I did. We needed every ounce of it. <laughs> but then eventually, yeah, Westchester Music. So that's like, yeah, great store. Yeah, a lot of memories of that store. I mean, including yeah. going there with Toby and buying a, like a black <sighs> and white Squire bass wow. on Halloween. That's awesome. And, uh, he started writing songs on the bass, which was cool. Like, um, I think that's how he started really properly writing songs. He'd write these crazy bass lines, and I'd have to figure out like where the chords fit into that. Yeah. And he would write vocals with it and stuff too. And yeah. 
so songwriting started kind of trickling into that process. But like I said, mostly what I'm getting at is like it really was all sort of born out of our friendship and our hangs together. And I felt like he was much more adept at it than I was. And I didn't really start um, taking it more seriously just as something I did on my in my own right um, until when we got to college, I think. Or yeah, because um, yeah, even like the first Dr. Dog batch of tunes it was only a couple of mine and mostly his and um but yeah i mean it was going on it's just weird it's i guess it's weird how you like it's always kind of it was always there but i didn't really identify that strongly with it until a little bit later and like you had that episode with rory and yeah andrew talking about raccoon and like to me in my rack that that was a fascinating experience for me listening to that like on a lot of levels but um like what Oh, I mean, just like me- just memory lane kind of aspect. I mean, my memory's pretty rough. I, I realized from listening to that. Yeah. I mean, I've thought this about myself before. Yeah. But uh, listening to those guys talk about the band was wild. I mean, it just opened up so many memory, memories that I memory had. Memory lane and reminiscent road. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and it was intense. It was kind of <laughs> heavy. It made me realize how consistently heavy my view of the past is. And yeah. hearing your friends talk about it in a more kind of loving way only pointed that out even further to me i felt even more like wow yeah i remember that sitting in that restaurant picking up that box of cds or whatever but now that i'm remembering it why do i feel this dark cloud around you know yeah yeah it was it was weird it was weird it was awesome i mean i was cracking up and like loving loving it but i was it was a it was a it was like um it was it was a multifaceted experience listening to those guys talk about the past and all of these memories that I was a part of because it, it, it shook loose a lot of things that, uh, that I hadn't thought about in so long. Um, but you know, with songwriting, I felt like, you know, that was what was cool about raccoon for me. I mean that there was a lot of cool things about raccoon, but it was also just such a free for all, like such an embraced chaotic kind of anything goes. Yeah. The more messed up, the better kind of (laughs) angle was very forgiving for where I was at as a musician at that time, because I, I felt like the best I could do was write like weird things or sort of approximations of weird things I liked or. Right. Uh, but I felt like Toby was actually kind of good, like just good, just like just really good in a, in a pretty singular way. And that was another cool thing about the, that raccoon episode was those guys uh, pointing out how Toby's vibe and his musical vibe at that time, I think, was one of the kind of most interesting and governing aspects of what was cool about raccoon. That weird combo of like intelligent kind of s- just uh frustration based social commentary <laughs> with like this primitive visceral um unharnessed kind of chaotic energy that kind of defined that band um i feel like a lot of that came from toby and um yeah and that i think i think that's cool i mean i think that's one great thing about toby's musical and artistic instincts is they're equal parts really intelligent and equal parts really visceral and emotional and yeah um you know his and raccoon i feel like just was like a like just really indulged that because the uh, quite honestly the standard was set so low i felt like i mean intentionally like strategically i don't mean that as a a diss on the band i think like creatively our our if their our unspoken mantra was just that like you just got to let it rip yeah. I mean, I feel like all of our bands at that time were kind of operating on that level. That's why, like, punk rock, I think, was really the most important p- 
part of life at that time. And like the house, the culture we were a part of, like going out and destroying everything and, you know, <laughs> the, the, kicking like, I remember riding on that. Well, oh, man, I have a lot of crazy well, memories with you. I well, mean, the, well, I want <laughs> you were wild, I lead, Brad. I wanted to lead up to that too, because I remember the other day, uh, you know, man, it was like, Hold you're going to talk. Oh. Just We're, advanced in interval. We just went up to the orange level. Orange alert. Amber alert. <laughs> Actually, it's, that's Phrygian, not a good one. Amber alert like doesn't. A little the kids moody. Orange alert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we f- before. Do you remember when we'd cruise around on our skateboards, painting car like painting cars? That's what Amanda was going to say. She's like, "You're going to talk about that?" I was like, "Yeah, definitely going to talk about it. We'll just jump in right now if we're going there." But yeah, I do. And, uh, you know, she was asking me, she's like, wow, that was, that was like some mischief night. I was like, nope, that was uh, dead of summer. Do you that remember was... going out and like building weird sculptures out of trash that would yeah. like <laughs> block cars into their driveway? <laughs> We'd spend like three hours stacking think... up bricks that would just lock some guy's car in his driveway and come out in the morning. <laughs> I think the statue of limitations for getting in trouble for any of this stuff is way past. Yeah. So I we can talk about we're in any real danger. But I remember very distinctly there was one of the summers there at the pirate house that everyone was just gone for a week. And it was just you and I for like, I think it was a week I or a few that. days or something. There was just like, we were just the one, only ones left. And we're like, it was hot and frustration, frustration abound, yeah, you know, wow, man. Um, probably, you know, probably a lot of sexual frustration and, you know, not, not on my part. No, right, right, right. Casanova over yeah. there. Um, and like, I think we went out, we just, we were going, we were on a tear and, I remember so having you threw those the eggplant at Burger King. Well, I remember you jumped right into it, man. I remember one was we weren't eating meat, and I got an we got an eggplant. Either it was given to us or we bought it, and then shoving it into the order box at the oh, Burger that's King. What it was. Yeah. <laughs> that was dark. Jamie threw a brick at the window. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie Hawking with yeah. social security number one five 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 five. So, it didn't break, surprisingly. I must have some bulletproof glass at the yeah, Burger King. Yeah, it must King. have been like a college town Burger King, and like, we're going to take some precautions here. Yeah. But the eggplant went in there. Point I is, there was that. a lot of vandalism. Yeah. Well, we had the, so the paint thing, we went out once, I remember, on the skateboards, and we just went down just painting, smearing paint on cars. Yeah. And to be fair. I still wake up sweating <laughs> when I think about that. Well, I don't feel so bad because it was acrylic. Well, I mean, you remember the outcome though, right? Yeah. Yeah, when we were doing yeah, it, was, it, we totally thought this was the greatest hoax oh ever. Someone was going to come out and see all this hot pink splatter on their car, and they were gonna, it was going to shatter their stupid little safe square bubble they were in. And you know, and then <laughs> then they discover it was just ch- you know childhood ch- like kids water paint, and uh, they'd hose it off, and right. we'd be the victors. That's right. No victims. No victims. Only victors. Only victors. However. Remember what we did is we got back to the house. We squirted it all over your car, yeah. just so there's no way we, yeah. we looked gu- like that that we were guilty. Right, which is how we discovered that it didn't wash off. <laughs> and when we went to clean it off the next day, it gets baked in there and it tears the. Uh, it was like ripping the um, oh. the the paint gloss off. You know, it was it, it, it was causing some damage. It's. And that was, yeah, that's the part that really bums me out. I regret, I regret doing I that. Feel, I'll I, be honest. I do feel bad. I do feel bad. Um, it's terrible. I wouldn't do that kind of stuff now. I mean, I still do that kind of stuff. I just. I just <laughs> Let's make sure I don't get caught. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, that that was, a, 
Uh, see, this is good. It's good to purge. This is yeah, a ch- well, these mean, are chances you know, here it's on the record. Picture. I mean, that was the scene for us. I mean, it was it was a mess. And like, I think I should on like the show. I'm, I should give people options for con- uh, confessionals. Yeah, this is like a chance for a public. Apologies. I mean, this is what I'm saying about my lens on the past. I don't see how talking about the past isn't just an immediate confessional. <laughs> This is how it all feels to me. And I could take this even back further, you know? It's like, oh boy. Yeah. And ahead, too. It's like, I don't know why. I apologize for things I'm about to do today (laughs) to people. I'm going to apologize for bad, mean things no, I'm going to say. No, I don't mean I don't mean to, you know, <laughs> you know me. I'm not trying to. Uh, no, I know, I know. But it's it's just uh, it, it's just it's a prevalent part of the of the of the of my of my lens on the past is just I guess I tend to focus on those aspects and some of those heavier moments. But I mean, we were yeah, we were having a blast. We were having so much fun. I mean, yeah, formative years in, in a lot of ways, creatively and. Politically and socially, and uh, in our friendships, obviously. I mean, you're doing this podcast, and uh, and you and I are still friends, and so, yeah. and so many of the people that were close friends to us then are, are still close friends for us now. And that's true. I mean, I don't mean to lean too heavily on the darker aspects of that point sure. in time, but sure. Um, I remember that same week though when we were out, and there was another time where we went up to the Seven Eleven, and we loved our sweet treats at the time. You know, like. Yeah. I remember we would get like Reese's peanut butter cups in the hot ice chocolate, cream ice cream cones, just like full on sweets. And we went up there and again, we were kind of going out on a mission, like we're going to razzle up some, uh, some stuff, you know? And there we brought Zimba, your awesome dog. So Zimba was this beautiful, wonderful dog for those who didn't know her. She basically um, lived on those 99 cent hot dog and bag of chip <laughs> deals. <laughs> she, she was human. She was part human. And, uh, and she ate like it. So remember we went up there and there was like, Westchester's this college town, university town, you know, with a lot of like jocks and, you know, the sorority fraternity vibe contingent. <laughs> and so we were really not into that. And I remember going into 7-Eleven, we got something and two guys were coming out when we were outside and they're like, hey, nice dog. And then I turned around and said, what do you, what'd you say? <laughs> These were big guys. We're not oh, big. Yeah. We're not really baseball muscle guys. dudes. Yeah, they were baseball. They were like baseball. Players. Yeah, and they were. They're, I don't know I was, why I knew they were baseball players, but it was apparent <laughs> at the time. They were I was like, "What'd you? What'd you say?" He said, "I said, what'd you say?" And he goes, I "Said nice dog." I go, "Oh yeah, what does that mean?" He goes, "It means it's a nice dog." <laughs> they're like, "Well, what's the problem? What do you got a problem?" And he's like, "No, I got no problem." I was like, "All right then, fine." And he goes, oh, "Okay, yeah, yeah fine." <laughs> And it was like, that was it. That was our extent of love. getting into like a tiff, you know, where it's like, we're ready to get into a fight, but yeah, oh, I, man, I'm not because I would get, yeah, yeah. I, would've, we would've, I would've been beat up. I mean, Yeah, we used to crash parties and steal stuff, <laughs> run out of the house, <laughs> just got chased that one time. We just walk into a party, look, just walk in. The first thing you see, grab it and run out and get chased. That was the game. (laughs) (laughs) And usually we would have a leg up because we were quicker and I think a little craftier than the average like bear that was out having a party. Who were maybe they were really ten sheets to the wind, you know? Yeah. So we could maybe manage to do that. Yeah, I mean, considering how little irreparable damage occurred during those years, we must have been pretty good at at it. <laughs> at skirting around and getting away. Yeah, man. Yeah. There was some, uh, yeah, there was definitely those, those, those... But you had that kind of energy. I mean, yeah. you were... Yeah, yeah. 
you were wild, man. It was like I was thinking this morning about how there was this facet to you <laughs> that used to drive me insane. Yeah. Like that I me had a I had a too. limit. Me too. Because <laughs> in particular, I remembered that game you used to play, and I think Ted would definitely indulge this game. This used to drive me nuts, but you would just start making up the names of these like fake animals. Oh God! Oh man! And you would laugh maniacally. Yeah. At each one, you'd yeah. be like Hipposchnorfopolis. You'd be like Scott Snarklebottomus, and it just would never end. And I remember, <laughs> like in moments, hating you honestly, like Dude. just feeling like so. <laughs> so overwhelmed and i knew but i knew you were like this fountain of energy man i mean right like you were just this special thing that just was boundless <laughs> there was just like a limit in my for me Ted, uh, i well yeah yeah who wouldn't have a limit on that that's like I mean, obnoxious crazy stuff you drive fast down the yeah. street backwards yeah yeah <sighs> well that's how i got my so my doctor dog name is traffic right and i got that, that because an appropriate name for you you were like just stopped, but trying to go a thousand miles an hour. I don't know if I realized it at the time how kind of ludicrous it was. I was, I was like how I would drive, you know, like I would really, I don't <laughs> it think I get. It was amazing. It was like Eddie Murphy or something. You were like, it was a skill, but I mean, it was a nightmare to be a part of. It's like Sam Fran, like movie chase, you know, jump. Yeah. Um, like whip it backwards down a one lane street with yeah. parked cars on both sides. Just yeah. like at 60. It's pretty intense. It's pretty insane. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. So and I, laughing. And laughing. I, I probably, I don't think I'd hang out with myself now. Oh, if I, yeah, like, you would. You, I yeah, think so. Yeah. But I would, I, would dry, I would try to harness that. I'd try to be like, you got to put this into a little bit more of, you know, this area. Like, go over Oh, there sure. Which, you, which you've done, you know. But I, I, mean, I think now, this is an important part. I mean, that's what I tell myself about looking back. Because, I mean, I... There's a lot of stains in my own view, my own rear view window too. But I mean, you have yeah. to understand. I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not preaching to you. I just think this is an interesting thing about taking this plunge into the past when yeah. there's these elements to who you were that now suddenly seem kind of scary or yeah, hard to own up to. It's like you know, you can, you can, if with a bit more of a zoomed out view, you can see who you were in that moment and what what it led to, and and maybe if anything, just evidence of what. I mean that it that it wasn't you in these instances, and that's part of what I think is hard about being younger. A lot of times is when you you're just not able to be yourself so easily, and so you start grasping yeah. at all of these things pretty desperately, trying out all of these experiments that seem cool to you, maybe or like fun for your friends to see or whatever. And you know, I think everyone exists with a di- with a, a different degree of that. And I think that for me, I had a lot of that, which is to say yeah. I did not know who I was. I barely do now. But yeah. I mean, 20-something years ago, it was just a shell, like an attempt at anything. <laughs> you know, but I, I think a, a lot of people... But do you... Do, was, yeah, what were you Well, I think other people have a, are a little bit more well-formed at, a, at an earlier age. And I was thinking that when I listened to Andrew and Rory's lens on Raccoon. I mean, they touched on the chaos of it and stuff, but... I didn't get the impression hearing them talk about it that it, it was as like, um, like, like, cutting, mm, yeah, in their lens as as it as it is for me looking back on it, and yeah. I love it all for that reason and stuff. But it just made me think, like, man, those guys like had a bit more figured out, right? Um, yeah, about who they were, and 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 I don't I don't I mean speak on their behalf or anything. It's just like that. There was the unique context of hearing 
two friends talk about an experience you were a part of as well. And there was just yeah. something stood out to me about yeah. m- the way it was making me feel versus the way it was seem- seemingly making them feel based on what they were saying, you know? It's really interesting, you know, that, that I know people, I'm them and other people at the time where it's like they were just, they, it didn't seem like they needed to go through as much of a process journey, you know, like <laughs> to get where they're at, you know, where I, I, for me, yeah, I had to, I had to like. That was just the beginning too. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know that's the thing. <laughs> After we got the, like leaving there and getting to Philly. I mean, you went to Philly first. I remember going up. Yeah. Seeing you and you were at University of the Arts and then like this, yeah, things that, were just getting weirder and. Yeah, you had band practice up there, and yeah, like Pine Ted Street. was around. Like Ted, Ted was. People would come in. It was kind of the first in, intro to the city. When I was like, I went to Westchester the first year, and then we're gonna go to. I'm gonna do University Arts because I was just like, I got to get it. Even though I loved everybody, and you know, wanted to get back to like, I was constantly coming on the weekends, and you know, like we had this. Yeah, it didn't seem like I saw you any less. No, but it was just like I know that the school wise, like I needed to be around that. You know, it's just which was cool. Yeah, because yeah, it brought us all up there. It got you guys you. in, and that was. Was a blast, like practicing in that Pine Street house, and like you know, just in this like kind of wild setting, the city. It's like you know, we're in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, it felt like game changer. Yeah, that was um, again, and then the hijinks that ensued because I remember now thinking about it. We're not going to talk about this the whole episode, but like you know, there's remember we were screen printing one time up at one of the like art. Uh, rooms yeah. in the school show posters yeah show posters I think some shirts maybe yeah Unleash the Bastard shirts and there was a church next door and I remember we had like I don't know why we had like a VCR it's like this kind of stuff where it's like why do we have a VCR in the school and we're bringing it to the roof and then dropping it on the top of the church we did that yeah I don't even remember that but you know what I do remember from that is uh <laughs> I had like a brown three-piece suit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> we were coming down the elevator from the screen print, <laughs> from the screen printing lab. Yeah. It was after hours. It was like at night. You had access to that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was me and you, and I know Ted was there. I don't know who else was there, but I know Ted was there because I remember as we're coming down the elevator, we made this plan where when the elevator <laughs> doors open, I would be laying on the ground and... You you and Ted would just be staring straight ahead and drag me out of the elevator and out the lobby and onto the street by one leg as though I was like a dead guy in a suit. And so the doors open and I close my eyes and you guys just drag me out. And there's all these students in the lobby just like gawking it's, at the... It was... It's like always became an art... An art, performance art piece. Everything became that. So many with, things. With Ted were around too, I feel like that. Ted really was a catalyst for. Oh my god! Like, yeah, I mean, I just, mean, talk about. Yeah, I mean, he. I yeah, to to have a friend like Ted at that point in time, someone that brilliant and like that creative and yeah. with such a uh, inherently unique uh, perspective on reality. Yeah. Um, at a time like that, when when you're like for myself, I was so I was so into that. I was so into that, like his way of seeing things and yeah, the creative spark that he brought to like the most mundane 
situation and given the fact that we are already like just anarchists in this way right that, like where anything was possible i mean he he just i feel like it was like such a formative yeah uh, presence from ted at those times and i i still wish i could hang with him or just have that perspective more consistently in life um but i totally agree i think like hit that was his 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 offering to the scene was he kind of made everything an art form in this way. I mean, what was otherwise just kind of some idiot kids <laughs> trying to think of the stupidest thing they could do, he started calling it art. He harnessed it. He was really able to harness it into this thing where it's like, yeah, we're pull you out of the elevator or like he put like know. a craft on it. He'd do it well, you know. He'd come yeah. up with good ideas yeah. and um, you know. And then Doctor Dog was formed from that. I mean, like yeah. that's the thing. Like Doctor Dog's origins with Ted are crucial. I mean, his, yeah, his, his creative sort of free, free way of looking at thing. I don't know how you describe someone like Ted, but whatever you say about it, it was, it was a real spark of something. And it, it really, it really took over for sure. And, um, and yeah, Dr. Dog was born out of that spark. And, he was obviously like one of the first members. He's like basically first first draft of that was me, Toby, him, and Doug, and yeah, everyone sort of represented. Toby and I had the thing we had. Yeah. Well, you know the thing I always loved about that early feeling of Doctor Dog was Toby and I were like sort of the core. You know, the thing mm-hmm. was sort of born out of this natural chemistry that he and I had playing music, which at that point, even though we were young, at that point already had you know four or five years of history to it. Um, and it was proven to us by the fact that I had kind of got ripped away and really suffered the whole time till I could get back. I mean, I left for two years and that two years apart, two years away really only solidified for me the, the, the confident sense that I needed to be with him yeah. and that I, we needed to be together. You yeah. know? And yeah. we weren't, it's weird I, to say that may, may make it sound like we were ambitious, like about succeeding on some level, but there was never... That never occurred to either of us. It was us, just the think. bond, the yeah. bond that was created and it was there. There was no other path that, mm-hmm. that ha- held any allure to it whatsoever, you know? It yeah. was just a real natural kind of feeling. But, um, so yeah, no, you know, he and I had that. And then, like, uh, Do- like Doug represented so much musical passion and, like, um, I mean, Doug is such a such a natural like so like Ted and Doug kind of come in in and they like count they sort of like are the perfect spectrum you know yes. because Ted's so free and yeah. doesn't understand really anything about music on a, in any sort of technical or historical sense but has so much boundless creative energy that can be used to do great things with anything and certainly music yeah and then there's Doug who's so rooted in such a unique and special way and like especially at that age in like awesome things about musical history and cool bands and how you like certain musical techniques and genres and yeah. uh, he possessed like this incredible toolkit um that was just as exciting as Ted's sort of more free offering to the situation so those two guys um in equal share um really brought together what i think is what 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 was the spark that like kind of created the first sense of like what dr dog was about and what it felt like to be in the band and what to this day i like to i I still like to serve more than anything else is just uh that spectrum of like that sort of the fundamentals and then also the freedom 
yeah. on the flip side. And yeah. um, there's a marriage between those two worlds where that's a real sweet spot. And that that's what the band was born out of. And um, those two guys were, um, I mean, yes, yeah, switch over to Doug. Like, I'm sure Doug's listening. Hi, Doug. Doug. Hey, what's up, Doug? Hello, Doug. Doug I mean, is, he, Doug's coming on the show. So, uh, oh, awesome. He's soon. Soon. Great. He'll be yeah. on soon. Well, I'm, that, ex- I'm that, excited. I'll, I'll be tuning in. Yeah, he's, yeah, you know, like, I mean, we used to hang with him and just soak up what he was all about so much. I mean, his influence on things and his bungalow and he was older and he was like out of college before us, but like writing for the paper. And it was like he was Hunter Thompson or something, you know, he was like holding down this job, doing journalism for this (laughs) shitty little paper and then coming home, getting stoned and listening to like Gentle Giant with us and making Swamp, you know. And Oh, dude. He he had all his phases and and moods and yeah. uh and uh you know those two guys yeah for sure they they uh they brought a lot to the to the whole scene at that time. You met gosh there's so much I want to say about that just cuz they I, and this is speaking just of that time you know I right. mean like there's been so much life since then it's 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 kind of overwhelming when you start to I know it's like I'm, maybe that's why I just don't that much or I don't know I know it feels like a lot cuz it's like I I feel it now it's just it's a big feeling it's like a big you're tuning into some part of some time too that we're in that was like you know the expanse the expanse was enormous and then you're going into this place that's like, you know, forming all these other things that happen. And so with with Doug and Ted, you know, I also like I say my role here coming in, you know, is like meeting you guys and then just like being brought into this circle, you know, being brought into this group that has been established, you know, and it was really special. And I realized how special because it's these kindred spirits. You're all these kindred spirits. And learning so much i mean from musically from you you've taught me so much how to play how to write you know things that were just like and then all these and these other people that were around just influencing you know it's like feeding off of each other and giving this sure. energy that's just so like abundant and then talent i mean the talent you know like just talking right now with doug too it's like his the talent that he brought in and like the humor, you know, things oh that I was just God, like picking yeah. up on from everybody and the humor. I mean, the humor is probably like one of the biggest unifying fields, you know, music, but yeah. like the humor, I remember all of us just like, ah, the joke, there it is. There's the, there is the, the Leela, the play of life Oh my God! at yeah. your fingertips all the time. I and mean, just seeing the absurdity. The, the comic genius that exists in our group of friends is, yeah, it's, it's undeniable. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I haven't laughed so hard at, in those moments. Yeah. You know? Oh, man. Especially Doug. I mean, I've always yeah, thought, Doug, I mean, it's, I mean. It's, it's, it's not worth, <laughs> point, like, I mean, I so many funny friends, but there's some, every time I'm with Doug, I do, he just keeps me rolling. I can't, yeah. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> the, um, and, you know, so like musically with, with, uh, with, and our, yeah, I remember us just like all watching, uh, so right now what's coming up is just the the VHS Mr. Show. Oh, yeah. You know, when we first kind of got privy to that. mind-blowing, yeah. You know, all of us, it was like at that one period of time, everyone, I remember someone brought the tape and it was like, what's that? And then everybody was just yeah, like. It might have been Willie. I, I want to say it was Willie. I'm not sure though. Wow. Dude, I don't even know who did it, but I just remember once that happened, it was like, <laughs> we were, that was it. I mean, I, 
Yeah, that made perfect sense. Yeah, that was like, boom, there it is. And here we are. And we're in this zone, you know, the stone zone and just being like laughing our asses off. Yeah. I mean, I felt like there was Mr. Show as far as like sketch comedy. And then there was our Stevie Moore. Oh, Gosh. As far as music, those, yeah. those were two things, and the, like, it might have been. I mean, certainly Doug introduced us all to our Stevie Moore, but yeah, it might have even been Doug that introduced us to Mr. Show. I'm not even sure, but um, I felt like those two things just resonated yeah. the absurdity of them both, and the sort of like the way that you could imagine them happening, yeah, or the way that they seemed to break the rules of what you were expecting in this really colorful, sort of confident way but we're still pretty janky and um, you could kind of see the seams in it. You know, that I felt like that spoke. I mean, I'm saying this now in retrospect at the time, it was just enjoyable. You know, it was just fun. It It was was great. Right. Yeah. But you know, now if I analyze it, I think that it, as with a lot of things, if you try to look back at things that have come about in your life and have stood the test of time as an influencer, as an important thing or inspiring or meaningful to you, um, yeah, there's just sort of something that resonates with it that, that that makes sense to you, where you see it, and you you it makes you think you can do that. Or, or like we were talking about Steve Malcolmus the other day and yes. Pavement. They're another thing where it's yeah. not just that they were a good band; it was that they the way that their thing came together and presented itself to you made you feel like you could do that. And yeah. like people always say that about Nirvana. Because they were sort of this like rough, not music, biz kind of mm. thing. But they always just felt like that next level mythology rock to me. Like they never, they weren't a thing. I loved Nirvana. Yeah. And like they drove me wild. I loved them so much. But yeah. like it, they ne- it never was like, I'm going to do that. You know? Right. They, they, yeah. I was like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do yeah. anything. Like, like it was the same as Hendrix for me in that sense, you know, or the Beatles, but yeah. certain things like Mr. Show, our Stevie Moore pavement, these yeah. kind of things like, yeah, that's they did that's sort of tangible. pack an extra punch where to like, okay, this is cool. And also I think I can get involved. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then, but that's what it was also again with Doug, like, he he really broadened this lens on what you felt capable of because he actually knew how other things worked, more advanced things like proper musicianship, good rhythm, good harmony, teaching you how to har- sing harmony and like the Beach Boys. And he was a great songwriter and his band, Overtones, Delt Slash, Double Horse, you know, yeah. they were actually writing real songs, like songs yeah. that anyone would recognize as good, not just their weirdo friends. And yeah. So, I mean, he was just coming from a whole other place that, but he was just so modest about it, I guess maybe, uh, but I mean, he, he, in that way made it like, I think just made us all better musicians with this, just snuck that lesson in, you know, to, into a scene that was otherwise like pretty much leaning more towards the scrappier, um, kind of forced naive lens on how things work, you know? Did Doug, so this is something I've wondered because I kind of remember, and I think it, you just named it. Is, did Doug teach harmonies? Was he the what? Is he who you learned harmonies? Oh yeah. Okay. So that was because like, I remember like Beach, Beach Boys, Boys coming po- box set. We, I remember once Beach Boys. Yeah. So like Pet Sounds box set. And it's yeah, just because like I mean you discs. might remember like Doctor Dog at first was mostly Beach Boys covers, and at yeah. every party we'd always yeah, end heroes up, and villains pops, and out, we could and bust like, them out with three part harmony yes. and all like the rounds and everything, and yeah. uh, we were putting our work in on that via Doug. Yeah. And um, and then like doing those songs electric when we start playing with yeah. Ted on drums and stuff and um, 
And so, yeah, like the first round of Dr. Dog had a lot to do with those Beach Boys covers and those Beach Boys covers had everything to do with Doug <laughs> teaching us. <laughs> I was on a digital delay pedal because the Beach but like Smile, that didn't hit me till I, w- I w- it was a few years later. Oh, yeah. For me, I was like... That. You always had your own passion, I your did. own obsessions. Yeah, it's true. Like I wasn't ready at the time, you know. Where it's just like I just what it, developmentally for me wasn't. It wasn't you were more into like the energy and like the emotion. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you loved like Weezer. Weezer. Weezer was a big Plow, one. Wow. Yeah, like Plow United. Some, yeah, and Johnny Cash, like stuff that was. Yeah. Yeah. I do, I remember though. Um, yeah, definitely. Like that's where I was at. But then it was it started to turn, like, I remember Pet Sounds when it kind of, I was like, oh, now I'm hearing it, you know? Yeah. Now I get it. It's starting to get in there. But yeah, I think you have to be ready for that, like, music music developmentally or something. Sure. You know, even though I was not a good harmony singer or, like, writer, I was still just like, wow, I get it. Yeah. I, can, I see what's happening now. And then, well, yeah, you had such a natural, like, rock, rockabilly country yeah. thing it's interesting like yeah you, you just like it seems to just fall feel like naturally out of you as dude. like a country-ish kind of guy yeah. <laughs> yeah it might be worth thinking about more we should do a bradford full-on country full country album. album wow yeah. oh boy that did just a ping uh meanwhile which we did you know and that's yeah well we haven't even got into that but like the the country vibe that we were we were definitely being influenced for parts of that album you know this past year um, yeah finishing that album but like and then you watching the ken burns documentary and oh then man us yeah. watching it you know we yeah. just like we did, went through the whole ken burns country music documentary and it was like wow this so, is yeah so cool phenomenal and uh you know just like yeah it just it makes more sense country the country world well yeah i mean which is to say country's cool i'm talking about yeah. like 18 year old brad who <laughs> was just writing all these like rockabilly country-ish tunes like I without know. much where did that like come in a from? pretty natural way i went to great remember we went to grace i went to graceland with two of my buddies from high school the first year in college and for spring break and we went down yeah. so maybe that i mean i guess the jersey thing has always had a piece of that in southern it. south vibe. i grew up in the south jersey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a the little greaser yeah, thing so connected to elvis and, yes. and jerry lee lewis and i think you're right i think you're right it definitely is like it's a part of that that world and you know like being in yeah, everything in that area, in the tri-state area, that's like oldies and oh, old yeah. rock, early rock. You know, it's just yeah, all true. based off of that. And it, coming out here, it really, sure. really sees that perspective now. That like, wow, we were in this, the hub of like, doo-wop and the oldies world. You know, yeah. like this music that was so. That that was informed all this stuff, you know, Beatles and Beach Boys. It's like that was yeah, it. That and was the Ramones. A, yeah, and Ramones. Yeah, Philadelphia, you know, New York. But yeah, the Philly like um, Motown or doo-wop scene and stuff. And yeah, so so circling back around though, when when you were doing so the harmonies, once that kind of kicked in, did it seem like? And I remember this because you guys did. Um, we're just skirting around here because, you know, we didn't, we just kind of went over, you want to learn about Unleash the Bastards. I mean, we've talked about that. We've, 
you know, balls man, checking out the balls. Oh yeah, I got to listen to that. Check episode. out the balls episode, right? But we we talk a lot heavily into Unleash the Bastards. But there was the funny part with that. I wanted to say with the, this punk band. Would you say his memory is pretty vivid on a lot of the the bastard no. stuff? Was talking to him? No, I, I, I he's probably like me, but just bit tearing through it. I remember more, more of it, and Balls was like, yeah. I don't remember this stuff. He has pieces of it, yeah, but he's very much like. Uh, He's like, ask, ask Scott, ask Mickens about it. And I was like, and I, because I think he doesn't remember. I'll show you where he's at. <laughs> but the, the stuff with, um, with punk that was funny was you weren't really into punk. I mean, you, you weren't really that into punk rock, like bands, some. Yeah. No, I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't. I mean, you know, we, like in high school, I mean, it was always around. I knew it yeah. all. I knew all the pop punk bands from like, you know, what was it Lookout Records Lookout, and Fat, uh, Fat Records, Records Propagandi. And yeah, and I mean, like Propagandi. And I had a lot of those albums Green too. Day. And even like the more like hardcore, Minor Threat, yeah. Discord. Yeah, yeah. I had I had a handful of all that stuff. And certainly we had friends that um, like John and Jamie and mm-hmm. those guys, that's all they were all about. And we were hanging out all the time. So yeah. there was a lot, it's, I never felt like that was their thing, not mine. I always felt in on it. Yeah. And there was a lot of it I liked. Um, but it wasn't like an alienating factor. It wasn't like they were the friends that liked this and we're the friends that liked this. There was a lot of overlap. I'm yeah. sure everyone would, would say. Um, so it wasn't that like I was a total kind of out of nowhere punk guy, you know, yeah. I mean, I definitely more identified with other things like classic rock and weirdo pop music and stuff that um, was sort of more, more my wheelhouse, I guess. But so, but joining the band, the, the bastards with John um, didn't feel like some kind of weird field trip or something. It, it, yeah. it felt great actually. And, I could do just real simple things, but all amped up, you know, like yeah. bring in a little, like instead of just the bar cord, power cord, add like the third or yes. something, you know, I could do a little bit here and there, like little leads Yeah. Um, that would, that I think just took the band that just sort of like pushed the sound a little bit in a different direction. But I, I was happy to do it in the loudest, most distorted, most yeah. punk rock fashion Yeah. and the singing, like screaming like that. I, I, I remember, I literally remember the first bastards band practice i was in and it was at scott weaver's house in lancaster in his parents basement and i remember literally the count off i don't i don't remember how this is even possible and maybe my memory has (laughs) constructed this over time but i remember thinking like okay we're about to count off a song and we're gonna play it yeah and we're gonna play something i don't remember what it was but i'm gonna i'm gonna need to scream here like yeah Maybe we had like sat and practiced and run through it. And it's just like, you're like, yeah, I'm going to sing. Okay. And then I'll go, yeah, yeah. But you're like mostly just kind of, yeah, like yeah, approximating screaming. Right. But then the moment comes where you have to scream in order for this music to work out. Yeah. And I remember feeling like there's no way. I don't know if I'd ever screamed in my whole life wow. for any reason. Whoa. Or raised my voice. <laughs> <laughs> and we started it out and I just started screaming and it was great. And yeah. it felt awesome. And, and. I think like even at that time, I remember I I definitely remember thinking like, man, as somebody who's not doesn't view himself as a singer and doesn't feel good singing or anything. It's not like just someone born to sing or whatever. Yeah. Doing this screaming thing is really helpful to just find like the edge of just to give everything. Once you give everything, given 25 percent, suddenly pretty easy. Whereas before that, 25 percent seemed pretty scary. So, yeah. um, And I think in a way like that screaming kind of vibe, like really. 
especially with raccoon when you were playing those little clips i was mm-hmm. like listening to my sing- so I'll sing delirious i was like <laughs> what is going on it's, it's bad it's like, to me it's bad i don't think it's i mean bad. i'm not I saying mean, that no one should hear that or no one can right. like that or whatever but yeah. just my own personal to relationship like to yeah <laughs> It's like I could see where it was coming from. A lot of it yeah. was like from the bastards and and the screaming thing and trying to like sell like just just feeling like the trying to. I mean, it's cool. It's cool. I just I don't think I my voice. I don't think that's what I, I've since figured out. I don't think that's where I I yeah. fe- I feel best. You know? It's not your. I mean, lot. there's still pieces of that here and there or yeah. whatever. But anyway, point is, bastards was not only a pretty natural fit for me to be a part of, even though I wasn't the world's most overt punk guy uh, in the traditional sense. Which is um, great, because it wasn't the standard, like, here, here's the band that this sounds like. It's like... Yeah, and I always liked how John was so into that. Yeah. I, I'd always said... It's always spoke to, like, John's true... I mean, John's the coolest punk I've ever known. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's like... Yeah. He's tried and true, you know? I mean, he's he he's he's all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. He's every aspect of it, including the part that realizes that punk itself is the enemy. Right. And so I think I represented that to him, and he, like, made that really cool. Yeah. And he really embraced... He always made me... He's always made me feel great as a friend, and he's always... He, he always made me feel great as a punk, you yeah. know? Which yeah. I, I, I was like... I always feel cool. I mean, the whole balls and mickens thing, like, yeah. that really works out in my favor, you know? I mean, yeah. that's like... <laughs> You know, it's like the uh, the approval of yeah. the man in a way, and uh, and so yeah, my role in that regard in the band via John being essentially the, the the beating heart of the band was like felt really good for me too. And our shows were so fun. I mean, cranking yeah. it up and just going for it with like three forties in your stomach is like. <laughs> never not gonna be fun <laughs> and like you know it, we had some great shows too like we had we started to get those shows that like kill yeah. time and stuff and play good shows where there was like people we didn't know in some like mm-hmm. warehouse and like yeah moshing and like punching dudes and <laughs> it was like I, yeah it was so fun i mean it fit it fit right in with everything else you know it wasn't like yeah i remember i remember like i remember it the time too when I first started, uh, first smoked pot, and that was Bastards era. It was, so it was the first time I ever got I high. The first time I saw you drink, do you remember that? You what took was... one sip and fell. Oh yeah, yeah. I that do. was your thing. I do remember that? Yeah, Brad, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, you were so obsessed with it, but yes. you were such a lightweight. Yeah, yeah. You were so obsessed with like getting messed up, but like yeah. the tiniest bit would knock you over. <laughs> Even like a candy bar in those days was like. <laughs> Maybe you're still like that. I don't know, but you were very sensitive. I'm pretty pretty sensitive. Yeah, I am. And I don't drink, you know, because it's like I can't. I just do it like a – I can't. It's just it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. And I remember back then – I'm there with you. Yeah, it doesn't work with me either. It's just it it can't do it. I don't have the stamina. I don't have the whatever, but – I got too much of all that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so – Or maybe I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It's tricky. It's a substance – well, yeah, the substance world. The, 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 the smoking though. The the point here I was going to say is that the smoking oh, pot man. was oh, what? Which well, one? I just oh, yeah, my mind's is racing with memories, but I'll let you get to where you're going there. <laughs> the smoking pot. I remember where the first time when I got high, and it was at it was when I was living in Philly at the Bainbridge House. It was I was still I was coming out to Westchester a lot, but it was on Third and Bainbridge. God, which is another time when we lit the couch on fire across. Do you, were oh, you there for that, or was Fatty that just me? That? No, I think we did. I think it was maybe 
10, oh God, actually, no, I don't remember. Oh boy. But we lit a couch on fire on the street and then the fire department had to come. And so, um, is that third and Bainbridge, is that where it's like dirty Franks or something like that? That bar was right. That was Pine. That was the Pine That's House. Pine. But Third, Third, Third and Bainbridge was like a scene is there. And then Lorenzo Brothers, South Street was right there. We always get the Is that where we slices. would have band practice in the basement? That was at Pine Street. Yeah, I'm not remembering the Bainbridge. Bainbridge, one. I don't think you came there too much. And I wasn't there a super long time, but it was with like Eric Realstone and Jeff Kelly. Oh, I remember so that. Jen and Jeff. And that's where I first got high. I remember Jeff had... Uh, he had it, and I was like, I'll, I'll try. I'll do it. Because I was around you guys, and every, you know, people were smoking pot and stuff, but I hadn't, like, done it. And I remember when it happened, and that feeling of, like, time stopped. Time, like, I remember saying something, and then there was the delay. And then, like, it felt like it was, like, ten minutes. Oh, we're going up to the yellow green Just yellow to green two intervals green big. is fitting i'd say that's two intervals for this the, one uh, the root <laughs> and it was amazing it was an amazing feeling and obviously that got replicated at, for a while for and then it started to not be fun getting high you know sure, after yeah. a couple of years i didn't smoke that long but it was a condensed period of time that was a lot of fun it was a lot of time during the bastards era where we would be just high for a show or something or get high for something and we'd play and and it was pretty wild it's a pretty wild feeling you know and just i mean music and getting high i don't know what your experience or what your feeling is with this but it's like it's pretty cool you know oh yeah the feeling of of the being able to like slow it down it's like the you've all the space that's created in the notes and the and the music is uh it's it's pretty cool yeah i mean yeah that's no big no mystery there i mean the combo yeah weed and music it's is a like, winning team yeah <laughs> <laughs> works but, well but um yeah well so what what was your uh how do we even get on that i forget the uh getting high period but it was yeah something with bastards getting high and then there was just a lot of the oh I, because I remember what, one of the bastards song I remember the later songs you wrote was pass it around and we joke about this oh, I think a little yeah. which I don't remember how to play anymore, yeah we were starting but, to get kind of like more of like a stony clash yes it was going. like stoned clash era where it's like clash are definitely like high now T for two is yeah. real clash yes which uh, which you know I just I'll, I'll do a plug for this I did balls and I talked but I, I finally listened to one of the shows with Pink Smoke and Thunderbergs uh, podcast. Uh-huh. Have you heard any of his stuff? No. It's, it's all these movies. So he just, uh, he's doing something called Pink Smoke and T for Two is the intro song. Oh, wow. The beginning cool. part of it. So Awesome. I just, the other day I listened and it was, it was on the episode on the Wanderers. Cool. Which is great Man, I, you know, movie. I think I did hear about that. John was on there, right? I think so. John did an episode with I think Chris? he did. I think so. Yeah, but I got to check that out. Anyways, that's. It's I, funny with podcasts, man. It's like, I think of them as this real consistent part of my life. Yeah. And I'm always eager to talk about them or hear what people have like listened to or what they're into. Um, but uh, the reality is, I only listen to them when I take long drives. But I've been taking so many long drives this past year right. that I've actually spent hours and hours in my life listening to podcasts. But like when I'm home, I just I never really do. I never yeah. really find the time. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, don't. I gotta just like make time. Is there's 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 a list growing? I, yeah, the, like listening to. I mean, you've got a bunch more episodes <laughs> that I gotta crazy. hear. There's so much buds and uh, Thunderbird. I'd love to hear. Yeah, what it's, he's up to. It's interesting because I'm the same way. I'm not like a podcast junkie. I'm not listening. I'm doing the same if I'm traveling. I'll listen and I'll try to carve it out if I'm like driving. You know, I'll be like I'll catch it while I'm driving in town or something. But it's not like a, yeah, this huge world that i've been st- steeped in you know it was yeah i don't know it's it's interesting but there's a lot of good stuff out there oh so. man yeah it's nice it's nice to i've been i've learned a lot from them yes yes a lot about music like some great music recording and production ones well, and uh, what's the one you were just telling me about the other day probably was, that uh hanging out with audio files one yeah, yeah. yeah that one's really great because i mean it's one of those things they get into a lot of technical info which is nice for sure but also it's just consistent I mean, I feel like a lot of the interview ones are consistent in this way, too, of just showing you the reality of people's lives who mm. are involved in creative endeavors yeah. and showing you just that that's a real thing, that that's not a romantic thing and that that comes with a lot of um, baggage or insecurities or ups and downs. And <laughs> yeah. uh, the, just the true story of that that everyone knows, but it's easy to lose touch with. Um but then when you kind of check back in with it, it's just ultimately inspiring because it just sort of like makes you realize it's just you doing your thing. You got to be you. Yeah. What do you? What makes you feel good? Like don't don't feel pressure. Don't try not to let you know. Try not to be too critical. Um, you know, just things that are a part of maintaining a healthy creative um, lifestyle. And I think podcasts are really great for that, just because it's just so much candid. Um, time yeah in the in the in the in the light in the lives of a lot of people that you you look up to i mean i've heard so many cool ones like that mike watt episode i listened to that finally on Mar- mark Marin's. man that's yeah. so like you just listen to that every day just to get a like get started it's just he's like, got a vibe man he's got a good vibe yeah such he's a like, good vibe wow yeah it's just the way he's talking is uh yeah he just has a great view on on everything that's happening yeah it's, yeah yeah, I like that a lot. But yeah, so podcast. I mean, that's kind of the when I say I've learned a lot. It's it's a yeah. lot of that, just kind of like the the luxury of hearing real cool people talk about their lens on stuff, and uh, and then in some cases some technical stuff. That cocaine and rhinestones. Yes, podcast took the. I heard some of that one. That one's a good one. Obsession far <laughs> a little further too, and. Um, Man, it's weird. My obsessions these days being country music and reggae yeah. are really starting to blur together. It's wild. Like it's 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 becoming and I'm meanwhile also making a lot of music. Yeah. Which is pretty much all really heavily informed by either country moves or reggae moves. Yeah. And it's gotten to the point where they're the same moves. It's it's really it's getting really interesting to me. What I mean the music's s- not necessarily I'm not saying yeah. like I'm making really interesting music. I'm just saying I'm focusing yeah. on these aspects of rhythm that are mostly coming from trying to get better at fundamental country feel and fundamental reggae feel. And well, it's really kind of becoming the same pursuit. What would be like, what would you say is that, that marriage of those two, you know, like, well, it's like, for me, it's like basically, and, and, and I think one of the reasons why these two genres are melding and also independently so alluring to me is that my whole, uh, like, uh, the the beat like the double time feel like i feel like i in me, i've never i mean aside from being in a punk band where it's like yeah. and that upbeat so prominent and everything 
aside from that, which was just sort of really just a blip in my musical history, it, there's been a real avoidance of the upbeat in, in so many ways, which I guess is just a more like rock or pop sort of uh, way of going about it. Yeah. Um, and so in a way, getting into that stuff or when I would first start trying out like over the years, like a country feel or um, I mean, even disco, like disco was real taboo and in, in, in Dr. Dogs, like disco beats, it, it became sort of like our our like pet peeve or something. <laughs> and, and then like in the 2000s, like disco, disco really indie rock started, you know, like the disco beat started coming back and it just felt like this thing worth really pitting ourselves heavily against. And, um, I mean, I'm not saying now I'm a disco lover. I'm just saying that there's certain beats and rhythms that for some weird reason over the course of time have been written out of Mm -hmm. the conversation. Yeah. And, and then when you go to try them, as I have done, it's like sheepish (laughs) or embarrassing to, to try to go like, right. You know, it's like, yeah. But man, like when I get past whatever pretense shaped me that way for so many years, it's nothing but pure joy in my gut about that kind of feel. Yeah. As well as reggae, which ultimately feels like it's so prominent yeah. with that. But like, and so I don't know that on the most basic level, just like a, a real stripped down assessment of like shifting an interest in rhythms towards like double times and upbeats and yes. stuff. Yes. Um, but then realizing as I like try to work that into what I do, how bad I am at it and how like, if you're not good at it, it's the worst thing ever. It's like the worst (laughs) music to hear, you know, I remember we talked about that, uh, sometime this past year, how it's like to make it sound like you're playing like a good, like reggae with, to make it sound good. If it sounds, if it doesn't sound good, it's really bad. Yeah, the stakes are pretty high. The stakes are yeah. really high. Like you have yeah. to just. I mean, <laughs> it's it, so that's what's that's what's tough is like how are you mar- marrying the two? You know, how are you bringing that in without being overtly like I'm doing a Scott well, song? Well, I'm not really. I mean, like, I'm overtly just doing but it's it a in, lot. Yeah, but just because I don't, I don't really care. I'm really enjoying myself. And, right. But I mean, it is like. Um, it is that like through the through the process of doing it as well, I'm learning more about it and I'm learning more about what is it like what is it that is uh, what is it how do I put this like how can I deconstruct this down to the things that I know I like and then apply them in whatever fashion I want that aren't necessarily strict to a particular genre or yeah. aesthetic and it really it's like double time feel is mostly the thing I'm trying to figure out how to do or shuffle or mm. swing um feels that I'm not really that familiar with in all my time making music. And um, for me, it's just been about deconstructing it and figuring out that it's really interesting how the the, the thing that I've come to find out, which is where the worlds of country music and reggae music sort of collide for me a little bit, is that if I, I guess it really comes down to um, uh, like a how how I choose to look at the drum set's role in the music because if I think of the drum set as solely responsible for presenting all that information, then it gets pretty sticky pretty quick. It's like it's like a lot of snare drum, pow pow pow, yeah. you know. And if you're if you're not really good, then it just sounds like you're playing too fast all the time. Yeah, and that's not what I'm what I like about I I like the relaxed sort of feeling of country music and reggae music when it's at its best even yeah. if it's fast it's relaxed yeah and um so anyway i guess yeah i don't need to go on and on forever about this but like 
to me, I've realized that the halftime thing actually is the really important thing. If you secure a really and you can secure that inside there yeah. with the drum set and then you can utilize all of these other instruments just like is so often the case in reggae mm. to express double time that isn't the drum set where the guitar is that's kind of where that guitar part comes from but when you think of reggae that's what you think of you think of that rhythm that that's yeah. like the the more emphatic like the the more the thing in the forefront of that rhythm is sort of what that what the guitar part often represents but beneath it is actually a real slow beat yeah. and so i feel like that's kind of true in country music too where you can there's something in the song that is giving you a slow beat mm. and then there's other things that are adept at expressing faster emotion that aren't as aggressive sounding or requires much muscle to execute like like a kick drum or a snare drum or something. Yeah. I, I guess. I don't know. It's just like part of this world I've been kind of living in. But it's really, it's just, I don't know. It's just kind of become like a real fun um, obsession for me. And I feel like the, uh, like, yeah, that back to that Cocaine and Rhinestones podcast, um, it, uh, listening to that just, yeah, that just kind of goes even farther into the margins of history, of country music history. And, kind of came out of that feeling even more excited by the idea of understanding music in simpler terms than I've typically allowed myself to over the course of my life as a musician, which has always been defined by like variety and sort of no mm. rules. And I don't come from any one particular culture, like a 90s guy where it's like, I didn't grow up with a certain set of expectations about how to make music. In fact, if there was one expectation, it was no expectations. I mean, talk yeah. about like everything we were doing in college. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't about trying to like, it wasn't about listening to little Richard and being like, how do you do that? You know, right. it wasn't about anything like that. Yeah. It was about just starting from zero and going with maximal kind of like confidence or aggression or something. Yeah. Um, but I've just slowly over the course of time realizing, realized how nice it is to have like a certain touchstones that you can use as your focal points that sort of define your entry point into any kind of like musical um, project or thing you're making or whatever. And then from there, obviously all bets are off. Like a thing itself dictates its course forward. But yeah. it's only been more recently that I've realized the merits of kind of defining for myself my own hypothetical genre, my own scott genre that like i can distill down to in order to be me excited to play the bass yeah like, then i want i want i want it to be like there, there there's one way to do it just like you know there's one way to play a country song for lack of a better yeah obviously that's not true but there, there's there's um there's there's uh, uh there's uh what do you call it like um Je ne sais quoi. Yeah, the, yeah. I don't even know what that means. It, it feels it, fitting. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I feel like I'm still just kind of in a rambly mode with all these concepts. But um, from that podcast, it was a very significant. Back to that is like, yeah, that podcast gave me a very significant um, shift in my own understanding of what I'm doing, yeah. and uh, and it's given me a lot of energy and 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 the result of what's coming about from it is really fundamental and basic and so it feels good yeah and it feels like something i can sit at home alone while not being in a band and not seeing anyone or not playing music with anyone yeah. and really feel like i'm 
I'm learning a lot and, and growing a lot. And, um, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess in a way all that stems back to like podcast being a, a cool new, cooler new thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, a new, <laughs> it's, it's fun. What, um, what, what I've heard you doing recently is, is great. Cause I, I, what you're saying, I can hear it. I can hear it in the music. It's not like I can just pinpoint, had you not said all that, I can't be like, oh yeah, there's the country and reggae and, you know, it's just there. It's this like, um, thing that just starts to show up that I, I notice. And I, I notice it with like some of the other artists, like, um, we really love like Michael now and Seth Kaufman, right. These oh, guys yeah, that are just doing this thing favorites. that come up and it's yeah. like, you're they're Yeah. Just bringing these elements in. Well, I think those guys have a lot to do with it for me too. In particular, those guys, cause I love the music. Both those guys make so much and it's such a, I mean, it's great music, but it also just feels like, um, and I'm, you know, I know those, those guys might say otherwise, but it, it, it like, it just feels like a real naturally occurring expression of, of the general like sort of pace that those dudes are mm-hmm. operating at. And yeah. that's what I want to be. I mean, that's all I want to be as yeah. a person and therefore as a musician is just like kind of in like myself, I guess. And I want yeah. like seeing as music is such a part of what I do. It, that almost intensifies the desire to be closer to yourself and more honest with yourself about what you are so that you can just access that quicker to when you go to make music because that's clearly, to me, what yeah. makes for good music. And that's why those two guys in particular appeal to me so much is because that's what it sounds like to me. And so then, like, also those guys, like, utilize all kinds of cool influences and styles from all types of different musical genres. yeah especially Seth. I mean, he, he's incredible. Like I don't even understand yeah. where that dude comes from, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's beautiful, you know, and album after album of just yeah. the best feeling music, you know, it, it's undeniable. Be- and it, yeah, so many cool rhythms, you know, right. like for sure. Like, I mean, my, my relationship with rhythm was basically like years of not even understanding that as a mm. word. Yeah. And not ever thinking about it and not associating myself as someone doing rhythm. Even when I played music, I just was going to move my body yeah. according to some sort of unconscious understanding of a song is occurring. Right. It's only been more recently that I've like zoomed out and listened to what that actually amounts to. And I've realized what trouble I have with the rhythm. And not only that, like how much I've limited myself as far as like being able to express certain kinds of rhythms. And that's so fun to... I mean, it sounds like a problem, but it's not. It's so yeah. fun because it's so physical. It's and it requires like, you know, to when it when you feel when I'm noticing the more I try to give myself time to like raise the bar on my own rhythmic uh, ability, the more I'm essentially just giving myself like out of body experience. You know, because when you sit yeah. down to play a beat and you really want to be a pocket, you want to float. You want yeah. you don't want it this linear. You're not looking for this level of button pushing kind of precision you're 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 actually just looking to kind of like lift Mm. and and when you feel moments of that um it feels great you know it's and it's like it's a really uncomplicated thing it's i don't even mean to overly romanticize it it's just a nice feeling it's just uh and i've had those nice feelings playing music it's not like i'm saying i've just been some robot that wasn't awake until recently. Just going through the motions. I just didn't here. know. You know, it's like that yeah. level of awareness. It's like uh, when, yeah. uh, I, I didn't. Uh, I was doing these things. I just didn't really know. And now, I, and in some regards, I've I, I've come to 
um, identify things that I've been doing or not doing yeah. more acutely, more mm. recently. Maybe because of, I mean, just life in general, moving on, you know, getting older, moving on, keeping at it, you know, yeah. keep working, working hard, but then also like having all the time off at home to really right. see things through over a long span of time has been yeah. um, helpful f- with all that stuff too. It's a, you said, it's funny you said uh, out of body experience, and I would almost say like, embodying it you know like it's true yeah and both i could see both but like the the and little experience i feel like i've i've kind of grokked from it is just for for rhythm is like to embody something that you feel more connected with and um rather than just like going through the motions like well this is all i've known how to do and just playing the speed or something it's like well right to feel the rhythm in you, you know, makes it such a visceral and embodied thing. That's like, I can, I can feel it and I can play it, you know, and those, yeah. two, are, those two are connected. The combo. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, I think for me, the, the awareness was born out of at some point realizing or just slowly over time coming to grips with the fact that my natural rhythm, if I just not thinking and I'm just playing a song with yeah. people or whatever, um, whatever that, happens to be naturally yeah it turns out isn't really what i want to hear as a listener mm-hmm. it's i think my energy like music for me and playing music for me the act of doing it especially like on a stage or like in a show is such a adrenaline fueled thing mm-hmm. that like your body just has more energy in it than it needs in yeah. order to for all practical purposes play the thing you're playing yeah. so the thing tends to get excited it gets yes it gets amplified in this way that I'm not saying is bad, especially at a show. It's fun to feel that mm-hmm. exaggerated energy. The energy is great, but like recording music and making stuff to like have planned in your house or whatever, you know, just I, I, like I, in that, in that regard, I, I much prefer, I, I really like to hear stuff that feels yeah. relaxed, even if it's fast, like it doesn't have to be slow or mellow even. It just, there's a there's a control of the time that is yeah. being passed through yeah. the tune um, that in one way feels relaxed regardless of what the pace of it is, and um, that's what I've come to realize as a music listener. I I love so much, but um, mostly as a as a player, I um, I feel like I'm I'm kind of rushing through things because music translates to like adrenaline so yeah. easily for me. So. I've had to like learn how to kind of slow myself down. And it's funny from switching over to the computer and recording into the computer as of like last summer. Right. Now everything I record, I can see it. Yes. And like the computer has an automatic (laughs) grid like behind. Yeah. Like the bars are there on the screen. You can always see your kick drum. Yeah. And it's like every beat I play, it's just a little bit before the line. It's like, you know, so which has been a helpful affirmation for me to yeah. con- continue to remind me like calm down versus yeah. calm down just do it just do it like you don't have to race to the end like yeah. you love what you're doing so yes. you're excited to do it but like for me given my own goals and given my own desire to make music that is more and more increasingly what i want to hear yeah uh i just have to figure out how to slow down i love that and, and this is also kind of jumping in from what we were talking about the other day is just how it's nice to hear a recorded something recorded different than the live version right like yeah like i don't know the teeth we were talking about the teeth and it was just yeah. like the or, or bands where you hear something recorded 
that could be maybe super mellow or whatever. And then live, it could be just all adrenaline pumped up because it's exciting live Different purpose at that point, yeah. Yeah, and I like that, having those kind of the contrasts of different the different worlds. It's got to be, yeah. I mean, it's got to be. I mean, there are instances where the goal is the same in both regards. Yeah. But um, right. in general, I think of it as kind of two unique, different experiences standing yeah. in a room with a band versus like eating your dinner while the record's on it's like, eating over the sink yeah. eating your dinner over the sink eating for all the, for all the, the sink, sink eaters out there band in your living room for all you sink eaters out like there a, turn on the music and eat your dinner over the sink <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to spill anything or do any dishes you can <laughs> um and, and I just it's, do you ever just, make your bed before you get out of it? Yeah, you know what? What I yeah, it's kind of like a sink eater. It is. Yeah, it's like what would that be like a uh, pre-rise bed making? Hmm. Pre, what would you call that? Sink eater bed s- sleeping. Uh, oh, you're looking for like a name? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're just um, workshopping it here. But I did that. I did that this morning. I got in bed and I was like, I'm not gonna want to make this after I get up and come back in the room i'll just do it now so i lied in sneak out I the side got everything like tucked yeah you can up, pull them up and pull give them it up a good like, legs kind of push yeah. the sheets down so it's nice and even and then you just get up and yes yeah, slink Slide out, out kind of like the, the grinch you just sneak and slink yeah, around right out the floor and the then you're done yeah. you go get a little tea Get a little Man, snack. you know what we did this morning for the second time in a row is we woke up and pretty much immediately watched the we are the world video oh wow you, have you watched Why? that <laughs> <laughs> man why i don't know why it happened the first time but yeah we had to repeat it this morning so what was that it's been a long time since it I've had been seen a long it, time for us as well and i don't <laughs> know what started it yeah uh, like what, what was the precipice for but we man the world? it was definitely worth checking in on <laughs> it's so it's so it's so good i know that sounds silly but like it's a beautiful message man yeah, think about it. And then, like, when you watch it and you see all those people in a room together, and you see, like... It's Michael Jackson, <sighs> McCartney. Is that is this all... Is that one? No, or? McCartney, actually. Oh, was, okay. We were talking about that. Like, we oh. were trying to think of, like, who they left out and maybe why. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, Maybe because McCartney well, bought we, all of Jack, Michael Jackson's songs. Leanne song. actually pointed Michael out... Jackson called, it, the band, the, the hypothetical band that did this yeah. song is called USA for Africa. So maybe the thing was, like... You had to be American. Okay. Okay. Which is why like Elton John and Paul McCartney. That's it. Okay. Because I don't think there are any British artists in in there. Who's on there? Who is? Oh, man. So, yeah, the song was written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. Oh, wow. Which is really cool. That's amazing. And um, it's cool when you watch a lot of the footage because like they're the two kind of conducting things the most with Quincy Jones. So it kind of makes sense they wrote it. And apparently they were writing it down to the last minute like down to the like the night prior to starting recording it um but yeah you had so you had those two guys and you had eating a big bag of coke to finish that one yeah um <laughs> man i mean yeah but it starts off you see paul simon and he's singing with oh. um they do all these little clips it'll be like two or three different artists on one mic yeah and it's paul simon next to kenny rogers and it's wow. amazing because like Kenny Rogers is a good like two feet taller than Paul Simon and they're sharing a mic. It's, yeah. it's like kind of, you never do that. It's like Frank and I, we never can share a mic. No. You know? Yeah. But they practical. did it in that video and it just makes Paul Simon look like a little like troll. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But then you got, um, 
there's this one great verse where it's like Huey Lewis mixed with Cindy Lauper and this woman who I don't know who she is. She might be one of those like Bonnie Taylor type, but she might've had like a big hit oh, at that time. Sort yeah. Of like Bonnie Tyler, the, Bonnie uh, Tyler. the total clip. I don't of the heart. know if it's her, but it she's might Australian. Be so probably, or, Oh, okay. Probably, yeah, why do I know that? Oh boy. Man, but you mean you name it. I mean, Stevie yeah. Wonder, uh, Willie Nelson, um, um, uh, Diana Ross, um, they were at a party. Shoot, Ray Charles. They really okay. give Ray Charles a lot of space at the end to just oh, kind of yeah. riff over some choruses. Nice. And it's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, um, man, yeah, I just, I don't know. It, it feels it, good. It, 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 feel, it feels really good watching that video. And, and, uh, there were so many good people at that moment in time. I yeah. Know, that was like one of the things that really struck me. It's like, yeah. Man, this was just a random day in 19. 19- it also, check this out. After our kind of like <laughs> dive into it two days in a row, we discover that it was released on Leanne's birthday. No way. Yeah, what? On her third birthday. What? Yeah. That made her pretty Happy psyched. coincidence. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's cool. It's a good song and it, and it, and yeah. it's got, yeah. Good moment in time. Might need a little pick me up for. I'm gonna try that tomorrow. Man, I'm gonna try like, waking so, up. And, anyway, also back to reggae. Yeah, this is the other thing. It's like Cindy Lauper is so good. Yes. And in that we are the world video, her little moment, she comes leaping in and she's oh. like, wow, wow. She adds like oh. these. Her she does her thing and it's awesome and she can't stop moving and she's got like all these necklaces and earrings on, and uh, she's just so cute. And then so we started watching. <laughs> more Cindy Lauper stuff. We yes. saw a couple Tonight Show performances. Yeah. And it was, um, we saw like Shebop or whatever. Yes. Shebop. Yeah. And, uh, and like Time After Time. And the Goonies are good enough. Oh, yeah. So good. Well, so much reggae going on in there too. I mean, it's all about that thing. Like, yeah. even though it's like rock reggae or whatever, she's like. In synthesizers. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is but reggae. Like, she was. Chicka, chicka, chicka. Yeah. Chicka, chicka. There's always it's like some synth or something doing that, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. But like, just like that sort of worlds of like, just that, like w- that way in which reggae kind of is clearly got the best DNA of any musical genre, in my opinion. Yeah. And that has managed to sneak its way into yeah. so many different kinds of music. And um, it's just kind of, I don't know, this is pr- like pretty, I'm sure, common knowledge in a lot of ways about for a lot of people to think about music. But like, for me, it's just kind of unfolding more and more all the time, like how those rhythms can sneak around yeah. and how good those rhythms feel and how undeniable it is. And, yeah. um, and like I said, ultimately the main point for me personally is like how, f- how, how, f- how aggressively I've like left it out for yes. so long. Yeah. Like putting it, yeah. Consciously leaving it out or like just you're not allowed. Like, I think right. a combination of like having weird rules in Dr. Dog mm-hmm. that we just, that just felt right. And it always feels good to own real hard. I think that's another yeah. sort of method of being in a band and, and, yeah. and, and, like tightening up your own little insular identity in a way that makes you feel good and strong. It's just sort of like owning some rules pretty hard, which I think we've done a lot of, not necessarily for the, for, I mean, what I'm maybe for the better. I mean, yeah. maybe I'm just now making a bunch of music that people are going to laugh at or, you know, I don't, I'm not saying this is like the proper, I'm just saying this is how I feel now. And yeah, um, this is what works now, but, um, 
yeah, a combination of just like setting parameters for your own creative understanding of the situation you're working inside of. And, uh, and maybe just a combination of sort of like, you know, upbringing, like, come, like, like we were talking about it last week, like coming up in the nineties. Yeah. It just, it was a weird time culturally. <laughs> really and if you're a musician, weird. like if it's the forties and you come up and you hear music, there's a few kinds of music you might hear. That was it. Yeah. And you, yeah. if you love it, the path becomes very clear. How do you get from where you're sitting to the very thing you've heard? Like, yes. what do you do to be able to do that yeah. and, and bring yourself to that? Yeah. When we grow up, it's like, there's no real path i mean it's like uh yeah. the, the the only real path is that like anything is possible and that's only more true now growing up now i'm god sure. i but, can't even uh, imagine now it's like the 90s was weird enough yeah like what the heck man the 90s yeah what were we doing it's kind of cool i mean it was pretty cool in a way too yeah. i mean I, I don't mean to like this isn't some like grumpy old <laughs> yeah thing it's just true it's just true that there was much more not only was there much more variety, mm. but there was also a certain kind of cr creative lawlessness that defined the kind of music that defines our generation, like the slacker vibe. I mean, that yes. was the first stuff yeah. that hit us. Yeah. And that stuff was not saying this is the way you do it or punk, you know, yeah. even though that's why punk is so funny because punk has always leaned so heavily on tropes, but yeah. it's this thing born of like the rejection of all tropes or whatever, you know, yeah. but like that's always the punk <laughs> paradox, but it is that's our world paradox. and that's what shaped our, our creative minds. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, so I, I also think for that reason too, I just kind of excluded um, the thought that there are these fundamental rhythms that you can use yeah. that help you get somewhere. And maybe that thing is kind of recognizable in some way that your like punk mind says is naughty or something. But like once you get over it, it it's funny because I, I was just like reminiscing. I was just like in a zone. And uh, this past summer, I got into a big punk zone again, just like going through and really enjoying it where it wasn't forced. It wasn't like, I got to revisit my punk roots. It was just like, I just, I think the political climate and all that, it was just right on cue, but I was going through some stuff and it's, I can't like fully just sit down and listen to punk albums like straight through like I did, but it's fun to go back and be like, oh yeah, that's why I love that. And so just like last night I was watching Rancid, some live Rancid, bringing in like the ska, the ska world, you know, like when they were oh, the yeah. reggae world and they did it really well, you know, but it, sure. it's, it's very specific. So if yeah, it's, man. you know, like I'm like, Operation I'm not, Ivy, they kind of did too. It's so jagged. Yeah. It's yes. so cool. Man. Yes. Like, really good. It was really good. I mean, um, I wonder where that came from for those guys. If it came just strictly from loving reggae, like West coast pop music has always been kind of keyed into reggae more so than East coast. Just like how yeah. like London pop music has always, yes. London has like such a big Jamaican community that I think reggae kind of like yeah. had a big influence on Lon like British culture. It's funny. But I, wonder, I don't know about the California. Yeah. Like East Bay, you know, like how did that happen up in with those guys? I, I think it just, I think it just happened, you know, it's like, that was just something got in there and then, you know, they went with it. Yeah. Some of those, some of those groups. Um, it's it's good, but yeah. So I was, there's something I was remembering we were, that came off of what we were just talking about was um, it's an interesting question because I it's something I'm my little experience of it, but for specifically for like so we're going back a little in just the conversation, but when you were, <laughs> what does it feel like playing for you playing songs 
now that you have you quote have to play that you might not be as connected to anymore it was something i think where we're just like the energy of stuff where it's like ah, i don't want to go but i don't want to play that you know i'm not like that was different time in my life but but mm. for you you know Maybe you're expected to play. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are definitely a few songs that kind of haunt me that way in terms of, like, being a drag to... <laughs> you don't and, have you to know, be specific. You don't have to give... Oh, no, no, no. It's not It's not like that. It's not, I don't. And maybe haunt was too strong a word. I just mean, like, there are songs where we'll go to do set lists and it's yeah. like, yeah. the guys will be like, man, people love that. And I'm like, I'm trying to make a case. Like, I know people love it. It's not like, I don't think it's lovable. It's just I, yeah. I want to enjoy myself and I don't know how to do it with that song, you know? <sighs> It's more like that. There are a couple of those. But on the Uh whole, there's not much. I mean, considering we're a band that has been putting out albums for so long, and and when we do our shows, like, we do songs from so many years, you know, we've always... Yeah. I mean, considering that's the deal, there's not, like, a ton of that, really. Yeah, Um, that's good. Yeah, and I think that the reason is because, like, the sound of the band and the way we play and the way we change things up yeah. It's a pretty consistently flowing f- thing in flux that, oh, like, it's rare that a song can't become untrapped by its own old age That's in great. order to, like, yeah, be fun to play again. And, you know, we've just kind of gotten good at, you know, maybe some, so, I mean, maybe the real issue is like sometimes fans wish we would just play it the way they're used to <laughs> us hearing it. Right. They're, they're, they're used to hearing it. But right. we do. I mean, we do change things a lot um, and, you know, like just kind of change our sounds too. I mean, like there's always new sounds coming in and out and oftentimes new players and, uh, you know, like uh, a conscious effort to rearrange songs and change yeah. um, and kind of contemporize them to yeah. where it like towards more towards like what we're into doing. And we do a lot of that. So I think that that... Um, that keeps songs playable for a real long time, but yet still there's a, there's always a few that just, you can't, <laughs> I mean, well, a big one for me is say something. I don't know. I think that's a cool uh, song. Yeah. People really like that song and they uh. always, it's always a requested song and the band is always psyched to play it. And there's nothing I'm embarrassed about or ashamed of with the song. I mean, I've written, I wrote, that song's real old. I wrote that when I was like in the house in Westchester. I mean, like, oh, wow. 20 something years ago yeah so like it's old for sure but i mean i was writing other songs around that time that i would be much more hard-pressed to play i mean that's probably one of the better songs i wrote at that time i guess is what Mm. i'm saying and even still i just don't i can't i can't find a way to enjoy playing (laughs) it and the guys have indulged me several times and we've tried to do different things to it yeah to kind of make it fresh and it just although you know what i'm realizing now I'm working on all these songs now and like I keep having to drop the key and it's not necessarily that my voice has changed a lot. It's just that I've realized I always wrote, I always thought that like singing should be high. Interesting. And I didn't think that I had much of, of not, I think I just thought if it was high, it was good. Mm -hmm. And also clearly I don't have a low voice. Mm. So when I would write songs, it was always just high and, I'm about as good in the same range as I've always ever been. Yeah. But I just don't want to be singing up there anymore. So I keep draw, I keep recording songs and then f- struggling to finish them, for trying to figure out why I don't like it, why I can't like sell it to myself. And and I keep having the same conclusion like 
damn, man, I just got to drop the key again. Interesting. Again. I got to drop it again. Like, wow. I've already dropped it. I got to drop it again. And yeah. it's not like all my new songs are low or anything. I'm just yeah. talking about a pretty... If it's a big window in one way, but it's a small window in another, like yeah. two whole steps is a large drop in the key. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I go from singing high to singing low in a, in a lot of cases. So anyway, I think uh, as of more recently, because I've been finding so many times over that the key of the song is much more influential on how much I like it than I thought. Yeah. Maybe now if I look back at some of those older tunes, especially one like Say Something. Um, it's funny though. Slick's a real stickler for keys. Like you, a lot of times it would be like, let's just drop the key. And he'll be like, no, man, it's only good in that key. <laughs> oh, and he has that whole like synesthesia power. Yes. Where he he's in perfect pitch. Yes. So yeah. if he hears like Jackie wants a black eye and like A flat, <laughs> it's a different song to him. Right. And yeah. You got to respect that. Yeah. Maybe you just need to go into what we were doing. I remember like last year is uh, getting it all into the, what is it? The, the scale or the, not the scale, but the, uh, what is, remember it was the whole like. Oh, that whole A440 or yes. A330. Yes. Or whatever. Yeah. That's a whole world. That's like a, that's a musical conspiracy for all you out there that want to realize that the, uh, you know, we are living musically in an incorrect, yeah, um, uh, it's not. We're a, living in the wrong key. We're living in the wrong the key. Put it, yeah. yeah, because we've been told to. The notes have so been strategically designed to resonate with our bodies in a hazardous, that's it, cancerous way. <laughs> a four forty concert it's dangerous. pitch. The yeah. music you're listening to, you're endangering yourself. It's neat though, because I yeah. mean, there is. I mean, there's a. There's a lot of interesting stuff about that I know. for I sure, went down and that I've hole. witnessed it firsthand. Yeah, I mean, I've yeah. felt the yes. not like physically in my body, but I have I have like tricked myself yeah. numerous times, and and I do think things being a little out of tune. I mean, the other more simple way to talk about that is like when you compare like perfectly auto tuned and quantized modern music, yeah, with older music that's a little sort of like swinging and pushing and pulling and a little out of tune. There's a depth there clearly that like goes away when it's like perfectly tuned and quantized and it just becomes yeah. like this this mass like this steel wall yeah it's a flat thing you know there's something that equate slight warbliness in pitch mm-hmm. and slight drift in tempo equates to depth in music i do believe i mean if john lennon is you know classic example right he would t- he would tune a little out of his d off a little that D string, yeah. I mean, if he's doing it, yeah. Imagine is, was strategically detuned from A four forty to right. resonate at so, the proper. And look at that universal. song, everyone. Yeah. Hey, all right. That's one of the big examples, actually. That whole album. I didn't know that whole album and was. Pink Floyd That's too. Big. That was probably Phil Spector's doing. He was probably going yeah. into yeah zone with that. Uh, yeah, maybe wild so. Weirdo. What's weird about that guy? Oh, nothing. He's fine. Oh. He's very good with women. Yeah. Oh, um, I want to go back. What's the, what's another song that you'd be hard pressed to play from that zone old time? I mean, there's songs that like, I know a lot of people don't know about that, like are out there. <laughs> like from albums or not from albums or. Yeah. Let's say from albums or old. Yeah. I don't know. Like, if it, yeah. One that would be like, mm. that's weird. I, I mean, most of Easy Beat has kind of we kind we ha- we barely ever play anything from that album. Mm. Um, but I'd say of those songs, "Say Something" is my least 
desired one to play. I mean, world may never know. Again, the keys, man. All right, it's a world. I think yeah. it's just a key thing. It's like yeah. I can't remember what is wrong. It's fine, but like <laughs> the face you're making doing that too is, is like and it's pain. strained and pain. Yeah, it looks strained, pain, and but uncomfortable. But I mean, it, it wouldn't it's necessarily a be feeling. here at a microphone <laughs> talking to you. But at a right. show, you yeah. never quite feel like you're there if you yeah. can't really open up around a note. Yeah, and like just like says that's how we are as a live band, I guess. And so yeah, certain songs just feel like then you have to like push too hard and then it just sounds bad like it's yeah. a bunch of men going like <laughs> trying to be like angelic and it's just a disaster it's so ugly so some songs just like i guess what i'm trying to say is that it, it, it might come down more to this like the key of the song and how uh, hard that makes it to play it's not like that i can't handle saying those words or i can't connect to yeah that sentiment anymore or something <laughs> yeah, you can't handle these lyrics yeah i don't think i have yeah, any good. songs that have that kind of weight to them yeah. where like yeah the um i mean i felt like that about t- where all the time go for a long time it was oh. just like such a specific story in my own mind that it yeah. took many years for that song to like shake off its origins and just become a song that I could sing whenever and feel however I felt that moment about it, you know? Like taking the charge out of the content. So yeah. it's just something I can play now. I have a little space yeah, from it. Yeah, this is just a thing. And yeah. like, how, how do I feel right now? And like yeah. sort of inject it with that. But like, don't be beholden to the yeah. moment that created this thing. That, that's the thing. The question is, I think it's, I'm I'm curious with a lot of musicians and especially when the, you know, bigger, uh, <laughs> the stakes are higher. Just, you're like, wow, I got to like connect with, how do I connect with the emotional content of each song to make it real? Or just like, you know, it's just going to be this performance, you know, it's to constantly tune in where you're like, I've outgrown that. I'm away from that. I don't need to be like in this suffering world of, you know, what I, where I was or something like that. Oh yeah, man. Well, I think about that more like has having more to do with your creative process of writing than, uh, than like performing. Like you can not have to suffer to make good art. Yeah. This big question we have, right? It's like, well, it shouldn't be like the only way. Yeah. Right, like if you're suffering yeah. and you're yeah. inspired through that to make something, that seems, to or be that the... leaves you in a state where the only thing you really can do is sure wallow with your guitar or a piano or something, right? Or you know, for lack of a better word, but like yeah. But if that's not going on, or you know, it doesn't even need to be sadness; it could just be madness. You know, like some people have to be real hammered to write something or high or what right. you know. Yeah, it's not just an emotional thing; it's like an escape thing. And and I think a lot of times, like sadness or anger, are in and of themselves they have to kind be... of an escape. In, yeah. in in that, like you are then brought to some heightened reality where maybe you're more inclined to be creative with that type of. Uh, I don't know. I'm just saying that. Yeah. Uh, like I'm not really. Sure, but the escape aspect is a, uh, uh, I think, a pretty uh, heavily relied upon aspect for a lot of people with the creative process. And um, I've just found over the years that, like, and it's 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 not like dialed for me by any means, but like I've just found that whenever I get used to thinking that something has to happen a certain way is basically right around when that way of doing it dies. Yeah, and I have to figure out what's next and the beauty is i've been through that enough times to realize that that essentially amounts to growth i mean it always feels hard but you always get somewhere new 
and then that falls apart and it yeah. feels hard and you get somewhere new and all along I do feel like I've grown and at this very moment I feel more fresh on the subject of the of the musical making process than ever in a lot of ways yeah I think just simply because I have opened myself up to a lot of to understanding that there are a lot of ways I can access it not just the ways that I've become accustomed to because if I focus only on the ways that I've become accustomed to I would actually be really bummed out right now because most of the ways that I've become accustomed to don't work anymore like yeah. this like singer songwriter mode of sitting down chain smoking through the night to write a song yeah. in a folk type of like paradigm you know like yeah. guy with guitar and chords <laughs> writes lyrics in notebook at night with cigarettes it's yeah. like that doesn't work yeah I, I, and not only does it not work I, I don't even I don't conveniently I don't even I don't want to hear I don't even really want to hear that yeah I mean that's not really as a music listener that's not really what I'm that into right now is like singer songwriter kind of song. Mm -hmm. Um, just been more, uh, yeah, more in rhythms and like, kind of like broad sentiments. Yes. So, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. So anyway, if I were only just focusing on the ways that I'm used to working, um, it would, I think it would be, there's, there's that sort of layer to, to life right now, which is that like nothing really works the way it used to. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that has its hard days, but I, what I'm trying to say, and back to your thing about like, how do you find whatever it is you think is necessary of you to do the thing that you do, whether it be write or record or uh, play a show. I think that even though I struggle with that very question, I know that the answer is just by being present and open at any given moment to just being simply what is available to you at that moment and setting aside whatever those expectations that you have are. And yeah, I say that and I believe it, but I, I also yeah. factor, I factor that in among one of life's greatest challenges. It's like surfing that wave. That's the, that seems like the, uh, the practice, right? I mean, just to like. Options be, too. Yeah. You gotta have options. You gotta yeah. have like a lot of ways to go, mm -hmm. which yeah. I think is good because it, like you, I, th I definitely think you, at least in my experience, you you accumulate ways of going by getting more disciplined and having a work ethic. Mm -hmm. Occupying yourself in time spent working when it's not always relying upon like inspiration, quote unquote. Mm. Like just yeah. have something to get better at. Like and have something to try and have something you know you don't do well. Yeah. That you're gonna try to do well and also know that it you probably won't do it very well. Yeah. For a long time. Like Again, all these things are hard, but I know that it's the truth. I know that that's the way you move forward through this stuff, and that's the way that you grow. And I, I've always responded well to the work ethic of making yeah. art and being an artist. And whatever encourages for me a sense of discipline and a sense of focus um, and, and can like feed my desire to work uh, and give me something to do, because like just doing something is really i think when it comes down to it what i what i'm there for in yeah. the first place yeah is the desire to do something yeah not do nothing yes and uh but it sucks when the thing that you're so used to doing to fulfill that need for you can also be pretty painful or hurtful when you continuously go to it and walk out the other side like insecure yeah. and like s just down on yourself or whatever yeah um so 
if it's going to be the thing you're going to choose to go to to fulfill that desire to do something, then it's good to have a lot of options for what that can mean. Yeah. And like that's what I've been focusing on the last few years is just like focusing, like just getting better at playing things, tr- trying to get better at recording, trying to learn more about different aspects of music that I've written out of my process for so long. And all along, it's just been cool and it feels good. Yeah. And like it, it helps me understand other people better. It helps me appreciate things more it helps me appreciate like how good people are at things that i've taken for granted and um it just yeah deepens the appreciation for music to to try to like stretch out and get outside of your wheelhouse and get better at things that you know you aren't good at and um it helps yeah it, it definitely helps with um facing that inevitable question that you ask of how do you do it? Like, how do you do it in a real way over and over again? Yeah. Yes. I like that. Brad. Yeah. Did you know we're on a podcast right now? It's kind of wild. That did you know people are listening right now and we can say anything we want. We are. Just think of all <laughs> the things we aren't saying. There's. And we, imagine you said them all <laughs> in one note. One more note. Wow. That's big powerful it's big because you're allowed you're allowed to say anything right now that's the kind of wild thing about the format too is who do you think's listening to us right now right now yeah well that's the other weird part is that it's because it's not live that i don't know and who is going to be listening where are they going to be listening yeah those are the those are the, some of the questions that I'm curious about. You, you know? need to think about that hard. I do. I actually do think about it. Like during, <laughs> when I'm doing some of the intros and outros, I'm thinking that people are doing things. Like what are we doing? We so someone's driving, someone's cooking, yeah, someone's uh, lying down, uh-huh. someone is walking, right. biking. Oh, um, wow! I don't think anyone's having sex. You don't think so? You might change that be, with this episode. Be, oh, yeah, this episode. The bee's back. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's like we start up again, and it's like I'll come back into your uh, the headphones. Oh, but mm. You think Frank's listening? I hope Frank's listening. You know, you you know what there, I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a call out right now to Frank because you know, he is he is resistant to coming on. Oh, so I'm going to call well, him yeah, out. Yeah, you know, Frank is, yeah. I know, but I'm going to call him out it's right now. He's powerful for this shit. He, uh, yeah. You, you know, you're the reason I know Frank. Yeah, that's true. Yes, Frank. Frank is my good friend, my brother, my bandmate. Yeah. And uh, he grew up in New Jersey um, with Brad. And when yeah. Brad and I met in college, Brad then introduced us to um, his home hometown hero buddies. Yes. Frank McElroy, Dimitri Manos. That's right. Um, so yeah those guys brought in it was like another more kindred spirits just folded into the mix folding it in like batter you're here Dimitri's here yeah where's Frank <sighs> come Jersey. on Frank Jersey Jersey you Mersey Man. Mersey Jersey yeah. beat pork pie Frank <laughs> little porkies little porkies out there in yeah. Jersey South Jersey a little greaser Frank um yeah, Frank Frank's got to come on. Sure. Frank, you got to get on this show. I'm, I'm, I've been texting him this you, week. You want to hear something gotta... interesting? I think maybe. Yes. Um, I thought this was touching. Um, it's from a friend of mine, Forrest. Probably many of your listeners might know who Forrest is. Maybe Forrest is even listening, but um, he sent this. Well, maybe you don't want to do this. It's pandemic related. Mm, I, you know, I've, I haven't. I have a. 
it's not like a hard and set rule. That oh, we're not I get talking it. It's not, I mean, I find that it's hard to talk about anything else these days, so it is nice. Yeah. But I'll just throw this out there because okay. it's a nice thing. Yeah. Um, we're allowed in a, to. In a few different ways. Because Forrest, we're allowed to talk about anything we want, we can do that. All right, here we go. This is Forrest talking about, this is a bit of his, like, sort of, I guess in a way, like a, like a, a eulogy in a, in a sense. It's, Ooh, yeah. Check it out. Okay. Hopefully this is a good sound quality. I miss everyone. I miss my artist, my band, my crew, all the other bands, and everyone behind the scenes, management and booking who makes the shows happen. I miss the venue staff, the venue dogs, the stagehands, hospitality folks, and the security guards who take care of us each night. I miss the production managers and promoters and celebrating with them another successful show at their venues that become our homes for the day. I miss the baristas, waiters, and bartenders and going to all of our favorite little hidden cafes, restaurants, and bars after loadout for last call and seeing our friends who have stayed up way past their bedtimes to see us for a few minutes before we leave for the next show. I miss the friendly faces at hotel reception, the angels at airline check-in counters, the runners and van drivers waiting for us in the backstage alley, and the nocturnal bus and truck drivers who always get us and our gear to the next city safely. I even miss overnight festival sound check and early morning radio station load-ins. But most of all, I miss the fans. I miss stepping outside just after doors to sneak a glance at the sunset in whatever beautiful city we're in on this particular night, and then checking out the line of fans waiting to enter the venue as they stream toward the door. They have been preparing for this night for weeks, even months. Their favorite band is playing, and they have tickets. This is the highlight of their week, maybe even their year. They are with their friends, their lovers, the cute person they finally got the nerve to ask out, or maybe they're by themselves, but they're connecting with their tribe about the thing that's the most important thing to them in the world. I was always a fan of live music, long before I ever worked on a tour. There's nothing else quite like it. Most everyone who tours feels the same way. We all know how lucky we are to be there. No one does it for the money. It's all about the experience and the music. We all made sacrifices, have left loved ones at home for months on end, missed countless birthdays, weddings, and anniversaries. But making this magic, this connection, happen for the fans every night makes it all worth it. Keep these memories alive for when the magic returns. Our industry has been decimated. It's going to be different when it comes back. Many of us won't be there. We will have taken different jobs out of necessity and might not ever come back. But don't feel bad about that. You are valuable and you made magic happen. We had a good run. And the only thing that's permanent is that nothing ever stays the same forever. The faces might change, but the music and the magic will never die. I'll see you again at a show someday. Well said. Wow. You ever meet Forrest? Remember him? Yes, I have. Yeah, he, he was with us for years touring. I don't know him that well, but I do. I definitely, you know, because I, just to say, you know, there's this gap in time from when you moved here to, from 
when I moved out 2003. When you moved out here. Yeah, moved out to Tucson. And then so it was like, I would, but I would see you at least once a year on yeah, tour usually. somewhere. You know, I'd catch you. I'm like, I'm, you're in Tucson. You're you up go in, to San Diego sometimes. San Diego. Yeah, something. So it's like, I'd always be, you know, seeing you. Um, so I know I, yeah, I definitely had, had met him. Um, wow. That's a good one, man. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you sent that this morning. It really hit me hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Well, we, you know, we say we're not talking about, but we're, we got to name it. I mean, geez. Yeah. We're in a, this weird place. And I've asked you about what your thoughts are on the whole, uh, you know, the future of the, the, the entertainment biz, you know, and just, I mean, music, right. I know I'm have my finger on the pulse and at least the film community and acting and stuff, but, um, live performance it's it's weird so weird yeah so weird yeah so weird and uh i mean i don't i haven't quite formulated a way of understanding it yet i guess it's just a thing in in progress and we but won't I know, do know really i mean we're not gonna know yeah i mean that's all you can do is sit around and not know but yeah i think also on a personal level just like kind of just ha- like being at a point already where like as a band we we're kind of just slowly moving towards less and less touring anyway like mm. it's not like we're at this real aggressive point in our career where it's like hitting it or you know it's like yeah. everyone's kind of just ready to like stretch out in some other ways and change up the structure of like our touring and um so in a way it's like not as it it I don't know. We're like lu- kind of lucky to be at that point rather than like a lot younger and trying a lot harder to be out there all the time. You know, I think about that a lot. Like a band that right I, now I, is I, just starting and they were like going out on their first big national man, tour. That's, and like, yeah, it's uh, awful. Obviously. And it's like yeah. way more awful than what's going on for us. Even yeah. though I don't like a thing about it. Obviously I don't yeah. like a thing about it and yeah. I miss, I miss a lot of things about it and I miss those guys. And, um, yeah, the whole thing is riddled with uh, with problems and it's riddled with stinky. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, for us though, I guess it's the one thing I. <laughs> that was stupid. I just said stinky. Riddled with stinky. It's riddled with stinky. <laughs> it's like it's some terrible like eighties slimer. Slimer, yeah. There. <laughs> it's a real slimer move. Yeah, who knows what'll happen? It's weird. It's weird, but um, that music. <laughs> Music will never die, and it'll continue on, and people will perform. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how things recover. I, you know, like most things, they'll just kind of, I, I have to imagine they'll come back together in a way that isn't exactly what it, we've what we predicted the future would look like a few yeah. years ago. But um, yeah, hopefully, in some ways, that's good, and hopefully, and hopefully, it's as good as it can be. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, it would, I would. I mean, I do miss traveling. I miss like seeing everybody. And, yeah. Um, I, yeah. Like, I realize like in my kind of like prolonged childhood, which is like being in a band, you, you know, your friends are always there. Yeah. And that's not even because you put forth much effort to make that be the case is at a certain point. Like for me, it's just a given that every, that I'm just going to spend m- at least half my life pretty much with, or surrounded by my friends, you know? And then, and then, uh, now, yeah, and then all of a sudden it changes, and 
and uh i'm being so far away too you know it's like you know all the way out here We're and all, all those guys here. are yes yeah. <laughs> this is out all the our friends are edge here right of reality <laughs> you're like my only friend here <laughs> oh buddy i know it's weird <laughs> yeah it's it's weird i haven't seen a lot of people and and i know yeah just being able to i i think it's so special that we have that history here now too you know there's just been the past since the since the start of the the pandemic and then uh you know just being able to like have these touchstones and a lot of times we get to just hang out and you know be yeah, outside man. and chill and we the album finishing meanwhile i'm like <laughs> it's like well i you know, we were going to do some shows and stuff and local. And it's some like, plans, yeah. You know, we're just going to put it gonna, out now. Oh, that was going to be good, man. <laughs> it was going to be Putting good. together the band just for that yeah. was going to be, I was really looking forward to that. Like a specific goal, like start a band for a very specific mission. Yeah. I had feelers like that, that were out there. Start a band because you have an album. Yes. Like this is the album you're going to play. Yeah. And you can play it like this and we're just going to come together. We need together. this, we need this, we need this. Yeah. yeah. We'll get back to it. It'll happen. I mean, we got to get back to some new songs, too. The situation has changed radically at the studio. Press On Studio is a brand new facility. Yes, Press On Studio. Tell me a little bit about Press On Studio. Oh, well, you know for all the listeners enough out about there. That. For, all the, for all the ghouls you know and goblins out there. <laughs> well, Press On Studio is Sound my home studio. Sound hounds and, uh, and uh, <laughs> bass beagles. Yeah, all you bass beagles. music mutts out there. You might be surprised to know. Not much to it. I got a computer. I got some temple blocks. (laughs) I got an MPC. You got clapper hands. I got clapper hands, wood ones and plastic. And, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, just the the best, the best, the the best thing that has happened over there um, is getting a computer. Yeah. So Because when we did your album, Mm-hmm. We did an album, Bradford Trojan. Meanwhile, slowly, over the course of it, I think it was two or three years. Three. We, it was three, three years. A little over three years when we, from, from when start we started. to finish. And what a change that had. That was amazing. You know, Even just, within that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was the hardest thing about the album was dealing with the fact that every time we got together, things were so much better than they had been the last time. <laughs> and it was like everything we would do would get canceled out by the next thing we did. But yeah. there was this real commitment not to feeling like we need that. It was, that it was okay. Yes. That that last thing was what it was. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of just like forced complacence with that album in a way. Yeah. Not in a way that I think is bad, but that was crucial to getting through it because it took place over so long <laughs> and my whole home studio situation has been unfolding rapidly for so long that yeah. inevitably we were walking into a very different situation every single time we got together. Yeah. That I mean, it just made it hard to yeah. to get done in a way. Um but we got there and it's it's great. And in the end it was good because it all kind of got to pass through the state of the studio at that moment um, right. which was like kind of after getting that console from nathan that big console and being able to do more tracks and yeah all that stuff and um but now just like yeah having gotten fed up with all that gear and the also mostly the inability to share music digitally with anyone yeah being a kind of mostly you know analog situation and being stuck in the pandemic and not being able to send music for friends to, or like receive music from friends to play on and really, yeah, just denying myself that whole luxury of being able to collaborate from afar was 
kind of the impetus for going and getting the computer and getting into like the the digital mode but yeah. I fended it off for so long and I was like so weary of it not because I think that digital is inherently evil or anything like that but because I'm so into my own process that I was freaked out by having to take what felt like to me that was going to be definitely like months of a backwards yeah. step to like get comfortable in how to work in the computer. I just thought it was just going to be this long learning curve that was going to set me back. So it was really just like time management that kept me from doing it for so long until I had enough reasons to be backed into a corner. And then I did it. And man, is it better. It's so yeah. much better. I mean, you were just, to, you know, so if people also understand the level of commitment you had to the analog hog, it was, um, <laughs> you, you, you Die had, for the hog. You man. had, you had, um, you you had the the board. You had a, some some realm. There was phases of different boards, but Nathan's board. Been and through a lot Yamaha, of boards the during PV, the meanwhile, yeah. And then it's like bunch of Yamahas, a PV, all the component pieces, and then going into the Alesis, which was you know for those that don't know, it's basically like a, a old school hard drive that mm-hmm. is not on a computer, but you're just doing everything with the touch of a few buttons. Yeah, yeah, that seemed like the best compromise because I could yeah. still operate with that thing yeah. like a tape, which is to say I would know how to use it. Yes. But it wasn't a tape machine, so it would be faster right. and more efficient. And so you you <laughs> you definitely like put in your time and there wasn't anything like the dues of, of keeping to this world. And then going to the computer world like I've seen and just what I heard recently was like just easy. Just could just do it. It's like you're, there's no reason to be. Uh, I know there's. I'm sure there's debate out there, and I was. I've been a part of it. But the purest of like, you're either analog or digital, and you're gonna hear the difference, and you're gonna feel it, and all this stuff. And it's like, uh, at some point, I, don't I can't. Think there's a lot of people out there making that know, argument. I don't think it's really that necessary anymore to yeah. make that argument because. I mean, like for me, I say it's easier. It is. But that doesn't mean like because there's a button you push that makes you sound good. It, mm-hmm. it, like that's not how I'm using it. Right. Um, it's just easy because it's fast and yeah. it requires so much less equipment. So yeah. it, being someone working out of a spare bedroom in my house, like uh, yeah. having a 32 channel console and like a floor to ceiling rack of <laughs> outboard gear and stuff, <laughs> as well as like amps and drums and keyboards. And things and stuff, breaking and more components like having misfires yeah yeah all kinds of technical problems and a thousand more cables like i i use like six cables now i used to (laughs) i just i just just filled like 90 suitcases i have like a hundred i'm not even joking like how much cabling i mean anyone who does music studio stuff now is like what i'm talking about it's an exhausted exhausted subject but like i mean when i say easier it's not like easier in the sense that making good things is necessarily easier it's just an easier process and yeah um and it's like sharing stuff like that's changing my life i mean i just started this stuff since august yeah. and then this first thing i got once i realized once i got it going was i dumped in all the recordings i had been working on yeah on the alesis into it at which point suddenly i can just click and like anyone can have those sessions so yeah. like i got people involved in that and getting people in, in particular my friend graham yes and uh getting him That's involved like the gallows right the one i heard that was 
one of those that was oh well no that was one where i got michael now to play on it and uh matt and um thor that's fantastic and uh and graham mixed it and that's sitting there ready to go yeah Um, i've got a couple albums putting together with graham's help mixing um yeah so anyway just as soon as i started to share stuff like the rewards became immediate and just the the way in which that has since changed the way i feel when i'm making music also is part of what's easier about this which is that when i work now i don't necessarily all the gift of all that for me was that like I, i i'm at home alone but that doesn't mean i have to work on things alone yeah and therefore i can just focus on recording playing and everything that means to me and then when i'm ready at least these days as long as graham's interested i can send graham stuff and he can mix it and he does such a good job and that's a whole part of the process that i don't have to sweat about and i i I enjoy it but hate it i i I, i'm not one like i know people like toby he's one of the people that like he doesn't even want to be around when mixing is happening like this it gets exhaustive for him real fast Mm -hmm. he's someone i know like that i'm not like that i'll like to be around but doing it and being solely responsible for it is different like yeah. i uh and i've done that a lot and it and it's worked out in some ways but um on the whole it's so much better to just like kind of compartmentalize all the facets it and sounds like music. a relief yeah it's like a, you told me you're doing that i'm like good idea like i was just when we did meanwhile when i'd like we do stuff you'd mix it and then i come over and i'm like oh great it's done good thing because there's no remix i don't have to yeah yeah good it's done it's like no remix you can't get it back in there and it's not digital the digital world but it was like that was a treat to not have to go through the overthinking and fraughtness of oh my gosh every little thing technicality of it too i mean it's 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 uh it's fascinating i mean it's amazing it's amazing like what goes into mixing you know and yeah. even beyond in any sort of creative lens just on a, a technical sense of e- like arrangement and frequencies and all the stuff that make yeah. a song listenable yes and interesting and yeah and have a vibe too like not even just like not be harsh and be balanced but like have a vibe it's like it's a it's a fat it's an art form unto itself and i like yeah. it and all it's just nice to not have to yeah to be in that mode so um but yeah, I mean, there's a number of things that have changed over there, and like yeah. we can get back to work on some uh, yeah, some stuff soon. It would be we, fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. Phase I, two. Yeah, you know, because what we uh, what we put together was really good. I, I think it's great. Oh, I I'm, love. I'm it. super proud of it. I mean, it was like a and just on the record, you know, I've talked about this just little bits since you know it came out but like you know this is a fully collaborative album so it's a, it's under bradford trojan but for a while i was pushing you i was like we should come up with like should be like loggins and messina kind of deal you know <laughs> we should have it be like that like uh mickens Tro- and trojan but it was uh it was such that it's the like i i haven't really had the much experience uh sitting and writing you know when we're like we're gonna do lyrics together me either and that like was that so fun was rad yeah you know, that was something that's like i like i do it on my own and i think for you too a lot it was just like you go off that's and great do your man. lyrics and yeah it was uh, you know some of those where we're just i remember the, some of the sessions we just like we'd just be there for like hours cracking at it and then the and word chipping play, away at it and chipping. like getting it right you know that satisfying <laughs> feeling of chipping away and puzzling over something and then yes. when it clicks yes it's as though it's the simplest thing in the world you know and that's I what would happen that, it would be this roundabout way we go off off and then it's like oh 
there it's that word yeah yeah and every meandering little tangent was always helpful in the end yeah. because it sort of it guided you one way or another and it was just an affirmation of all of those yeah things that sound so lame to talk about but in reality like really do define the quality of an experience and and the quality of like work and uh I enjoyed doing that with you so much. And yeah. I think like that's definitely a special thing. I mean, I, I've tried to do that with other people and it it's not like a given just because you yeah. do this and I do this. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen at the same time. Yeah. And I've seen that to be true over and over again in all the various times I've tried to do that with different people. It's fine. Like you don't have to, you know, work with everyone in every possible way of working together. You can work in very specific way or find certain cat like roles yeah. that work you know but yeah um it was it was awesome working with you in that way i loved it yeah and um it which is to say lyrically like working on the lyrics yeah yeah fun like a lot of, a lot of good good times because i feel like you have this way of kind of like coming at things you in your writing it's always been cool because there's a real like immediacy to it yeah and for me i have this real like I think I have this unfair mistrust of immediacy, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. well, that was the first thing. So clearly that's no good. Right. That's the way my mind so <laughs> works. And I'm trying to rewire that in my own instincts and yeah. like actually sort of value the intuition and the impulses that occur yeah. in the musical making process rather than feeling like there's no possible way for it to be good until <laughs> it's been filtered several times. And so... Yeah. I felt like driving off of your immediacy was really good for me, but I also felt like it was cool too, because with immediacy, you know, it's hit or miss. Like, right. And so I feel like I'm definitely endowed and yeah. able to be like, well, that's just fine. It's not good. Like it just happened and it's no good. We're going to keep working on it. Cause that's yeah. what, if anything, I've been accused of overworking things my entire life, you know? So I'm, I'm always ready to be like, <laughs> that's no good. We got to keep going. Yeah. But I felt like it was a healthy balance for for, for both of us in that way yes. of just like yes. operating kind of like off of improvisation and or, or like from like some pretty quick and intuitive ideas, but then being able to sit back and actually sculpt it from there. And that's yeah. become like a big um a big thing for me in general. And and I feel like that experience with you was like kind of part of building that. I I, I, I miss doing that for yeah. sure. Yeah. Working on tunes with you. Yeah. We're going to do it. It was fun, man. And yeah, I feel like when you get into a process of any sort where there's a certain kind of like mojo, for lack of a better word, like something that is mm. singular to the dynamic of the, the people involved and it's working. Yeah. And it's consistently available when you go for it. Mm. When you start to do that, you do build a little world. And yeah. I like my, my, it's been my favorite thing about being a musician the whole time is when these little worlds develop where yeah. like, it's like our little world here, our little meanwhile, you yes. know, and we have these little things we can chuckle about and these little things we'll say, yeah. and these little themes yeah. and the way like mushrooms became a part of that whole little world. Right. It was like, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, like these, like, uh, all of the little, like, uh, you know, like the Ringo things, like the, yes. uh, all the little, um, tomorrow never knows or whatever, <laughs> all these like little nonsensical things that we were kind of tapping into in our own way. Not like as an effort to get like Beatlesy on it or whatever, but like yeah. we were landing on these insights that felt 
paradoxical enough to meet to be truthful to us also like to embody this sort of depth of absurdity and humor that i think yeah. you and i share in our whatever our like uh shared um lens on beauty mm. uh, has you know like that there's just something rich in the mm. absurdity yeah of things uh, there's something to that you know yeah. and like talk about that endlessly oh but God. i felt like there was a lot of that waking up inside of like the things we were landing on with the tunes and the lyrics yeah and um i love those little worlds that shape up when something clicks you know yeah and i can think back on my whole musical experience so far and it's full of all these little worlds and there's nothing that nothing beats that you know and yeah that's why I like the swamp with dr dog like the swamp mm. was and is so important to the history of the band just because it was the most i mean not palpable world at all but like in terms yeah. of it's a very abstract bubble that yeah. opened up but like the feeling of being a part of it was the most palpable thing yeah that that any of that i i, I think any of us had felt up to that point maybe that maybe not, i won't speak on everyone's behalf but like probably i mean i know it's true for me like Finding that little world was like, oh man, this is what it's all about. Yeah. And not that it has to stay that way forever, you know, but just that's what you're always chasing. Like you're always looking for this little insular universe to open up with its own little system mm-hmm. that you can operate according to. And it's driven by your creative impulses. And the more you feed into it, the more it starts to feed back to you to where you're then just engaging with it. It's not even something you're doing. It's just something you're a part of. Yeah. And you've made it. So like that's truly creative, you know. You truly are now engaging with this thing you made, yeah. And I'm analyzing it now, and then verbalizing it and breaking it down in this way. But when it's happening, it's just, it's just nice, you know. Just like what you and I experienced, stretched yeah. out over three years. But like, yeah. it was like that every time we hung out, yeah. And a lot of it, you know, and it and it's like always a like that sculptural thing. Like it kind of you build it and then you chip it away and you consolidate it. And you chip yeah. it away and you consolidate it. Rework it. Rework it. Maybe yeah. scrap some stuff. And yeah, re- I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't. Nothing would be good without that. You know, yeah. like you, that's a, a a necessary part of it. Like being fearless about just saying, yeah, it could be better. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, I remember when the swamp came out and uh you know i was in westchester i was kind of on the i don't know what i was doing i mean i remember you guys were doing it i remember the swamp show at the east end when oh man yeah that was the one like and only the one and only it's yeah me and doug and toby and a four track yeah that was it i remember remember the swamp show and uh it was great that <laughs> was it <laughs> It was, it was, I'm sure. It was this, yeah. I mean, much like those kind of times, the Doctor Dog times, which, well, Ted wasn't in in, in, the, in that part, but when there were those like uh, performances, you know, where it was, it was like a theme or something, you know, like yeah. Each show was like a like a thing unto itself. Something, it wasn't yeah. just like oh, there's a show. Let's go and do our thing. We had to kind of reinvent it yes. each time. And I remember one there was like Ted and Marty. Marty was like filming something. Talk about Marty there. Oh, with he a was tuxedo like filming on. a tuxedo. You yeah. were dancing behind a tarp. Yeah, and just filming and walking in, and that was the show. Because well, we like had this... TVs. Yes. Playing what Marty was filming. <laughs> it was a real psychedelic show, and you were dancing behind a backlit tarp. 
with a Dr. Dog logo painted on it. And Jim Zeski was wearing like a spandex skeleton suit singing into a delay with like under a lamp. <laughs> That's so good. And we, and we were sitting on couches. That's right. Yes. And we had weird songs. Sitting like, on couches. Yeah. <sighs> Stay inside and lie down. Like the first batch of uh, Dr. Dog songs were all real cool. Oh, my God. And um, yeah, but you're right. I mean, the first, the, yeah, the first... Yeah, that was an interesting, like, it's, it's, it's hard to even describe the origins of that band. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit of a paradox in itself because, uh, and I, this was brought to my attention even more listening to Andrew and Rory talk about Raccoon and thinking more about Raccoon and why, like, oh man, there's so much interesting stuff there for me. Cause it, it just begs this question, why were there these two realms? Like, I guess that's just how things shake out. Like, w- like Toby and I, like when I moved back to Westchester, the first thing that Toby and I did, the very first issue that was clearly needing to be tackled was to sit down, choose a band name, uh-huh. show each other what we had written yeah. in the time that I'd been away. Yeah. And I remember that hang. It was in the basement of the pirate house mm. and I had my notebook and he had his notebook and this was the deal. I was back. I mean, I was, yeah. we were very aware that like we needed to make music together. Yeah. I had been gone for two years yeah. and had pushed my way through all that I had to push through to come back Yeah, as far as convincing my family, it was a good idea and all this stuff. And, uh, so, I mean, we were very self-aware about it. It wasn't just like, Oh, look, it's that dude again. Hey, you want to jam? Yeah. It was like, it was on. We have to do this. Yeah. So that's the paradox of Dr. Dog is like, that's at its core, that yeah. seed. Yeah. However, the way we actually functioned for years looks like a floundering mess of like complete ineptitude, you know? Yeah. I mean, in that like nothing ever was consistent. There was, there was no, the consistency of people wasn't there for years. Right getting shows wasn't there for years and then meanwhile we were in raccoon and yeah. that's a band that you can definitely look at and see more consistency in a traditional sense of a band operating and i think for a lot of people that maybe got confused with like i i, I mean dr dog even despite that dr dog was always the thing that was mm-hmm. always what we were going for it was just a different operating system or something yeah and it was just it was linux linux <laughs> Yeah, yeah, DOS. DOS system, logo. It it was even just before that, it was like just some sort of rickety contraption, you know, like a Rube Goldberg or something. You just push the thing and it will go around and around and knock stuff over and like it'd be beautiful. And that, and it was really just like being in all these other bands that at a certain point we realized like, well, in order for this thing to look more consistent and for us to start finding more consistency in this, we have to start by like giving all of our focus to it. Yeah. And that, you know, that's why both Toby and I like quit a bunch of bands at the same time. And, uh, that wasn't easy in it. And, and all, there was like so much, there was so much joy and yeah, that we, that, that in, in all that other stuff, um, but I mean, it was what we had to do, and it, and it worked. Like within a year or so, we were on tour, basically. You know, yeah. so it it paid off as far as us just like getting more focused. But um, but yeah, I mean, those early shows, like 
that just the kind of yeah the, the I mean, shifting one, cast of characters and i the, remember one where i did something where i'm it was marin uh our friend marin ferris uh we were did like a birthday show or something and it was in the bathroom and i, I we all had that Vasel- was our first show vaseline I put. I remember. I put Vaseline with coffee grounds on his fake beards. Yeah, that was Ted's idea. You, Ted's idea. You draw, you draw a I, beard on your face with Vaseline, and yeah. then you just throw coffee at it, and it sticks. <laughs> 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 and um, playing like the toilet and just whatever, and you know. Yeah, so we were in a tiny little bathroom. We all had like white clothes <laughs> on, and coffee beards, and. So you cut to there that. There were no instruments. No, no, no. There was like maybe a guitar maybe and then Toby there was I that little radio we could plug a yeah. mic into. So that, cut to that from I think that. you were turning the shower on and off. So. like doing like water like, percussion. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That, you go from that to like then you're touring with my morning jacket. Why? Well, I mean a, like a few years later. <laughs> literally the next day. <laughs> David Geffen was at that bathroom show. Man, which he blown away. I, I I think that was Murph our first Griffith show. Griffith wants you to come on the show. Is yeah. that tonight's show? Yeah, that's Ed funny. Ed Sullivan bathroom circuit. <laughs> we played Ed Sullivan's bathroom. <laughs> but yeah, that's like uh, that was a. It was either that was our first show. No, that was. I think that was literally the first Doctor Dog show. Oh wow! That's yeah, you were played in the very first Doctor Dog show. <sighs> that's wild. That yeah. would have been it. Other than like the. That's I don't think there was any performance called Dr. Dog prior to that. Wow. Wow. I didn't and, know that. I, I, I mean, the only other early one I remember was that, do you remember the party at Ted's parents' farmhouse barn yes. zone where you had to show up and then you got carted on a f- yes. four-wheeler? Out, yeah. Yeah. And then we played, but that was full band. <laughs> so that was even, that was definitely after Marin's. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think Marin's bathroom was, was I, I think it's safe to say that was our... Our first show, and I, wow. Doug would have been in that, and me and you Doug. and Toby wow. and Ted. Dude, that's wild. But not Zach yet, because Zach joined later at one of the parties we used to throw at the barn where yes. we practiced. Yes. Nottingham. That barn, we talked to Balls and I talked about that a little. That barn was amazing. I have that really good memories best. of that. And yeah. Just uh, practicing there and like just the And the flea market and the, on Saturdays yeah. and the Wawa. Yeah. We played at that flea market. That was an early show. Wow. Yeah. Dude. Played Fuck It, but we turned it into Bucket. Oh, my God. Yeah. But here's a here's a fun. Uh, just, and it wasn't planning on asking that, but is there, will there ever be, there is, there is a recording of Fuck It. That we, that we made. An old Dr. Daw. Isn't there? Isn't there an old Dr. Daw? Like from a show or something? I, think I don't there was think like an old like a 388 or something version. Yeah, that makes Oh, well the original. Yes. Yeah, it was the tone bank keyboard and those lyrics. That's how it got written. But then then it just became like a functional song in a set like when everything was like, Yeah. basically going to shit. You played that song and the most important thing was that no one knew the chords. It's like a three chord song that we've all managed not to know how to play for so long. <laughs> Yeah, that song's amazing. Ah, <laughs> oh, that song is amazing. Yeah, there's not it really is. a lot of songs. It's kind of like uh, what's that? Yeah, I don't know what it's like. It's not. It's a device. It's not really a song. It's, <laughs> like anyone can have that like song for that purpose. It's a self-destruct mechanism. Yeah, where you like this it's is like a panic button. Panic button. Hit it. Boom. And where fuck it's on. And then the, yeah. <laughs> It's just done. And it's, it's got this kind of meta aspect yeah. to it because you can't know how to do it right. when you do it. Yes. You don't really know the chords. Yeah. 
It'll never be nailed down. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it where it will just... You know loosely. (laughs) 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 But it always helps. I mean, if you're doing it, it's like you're in a better place. I want to use that in some times in life. I just want to hit that button. Yeah. And just let it just blow a fart out. It's... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that one... A cosmic fart. Yeah, that, I mean, I like the writing of that. I mean, that's great. Like stuff like that just kind of falls out. Harry Plooper. Harry Plooper. <laughs> <laughs> making it up. I don't know if I am. That um. <laughs> <laughs> um. What was? I mean, yeah. I feel like. I mean, another thing. <laughs> thinking back you know you yeah like i feel i feel like i always thought of you like that there was a like that basically that like there was like like you were part of a crew within our crew that was just crazy in a slightly different way than the rest of us were crazy and it was more manic it was a little more manic like more manic and like childish in a way too like little toddler vibes of like relentlessness yes and like like goofiness nerve bending yeah yeah and it was like you and ted and ben smith i would put into that sort of like yes into that category and then i felt like me and well yeah it was just like what's up with that what's up with like you guys i i I mean there's (laughs) there's like (laughs) i think ted's childlike there's a childlike like well you said toddler i yeah there's a there's a um antagonistic like uh rabble rouser ness that was present yeah, definitely in me i'm flat. realizing more in ted um and uh, well for sure ben yeah. like ben when once philly hit and we let, met ben and i met ben and brought yeah ben him. jumped right in that he, he jumped in but there was like ted would do this thing where it was like a um like um <laughs> He's been just thinking about it because it's this feeling of like it would just push the envelope and be like, yeah, they're <laughs> they're like uh, they're just like really like hungry right now, and it's like <laughs> where, but he keeps saying that over and over. Yeah, yeah. If someone was just yeah, eating right. or something, you know, and it, it, and it reminds me of when we eventually lived at the hot tub house in Westchester, oh, where, where it was. Whoa. I don't know how this happened, but me. Damn. And Marty and Ted were sharing a room, a small room. <laughs> <laughs> and it was basically like all. <laughs> I don't know how it could survive. There wasn't anything except there was cardboard on the floor. Yeah. And like that was our flooring. And then there was blackout curtains on the one window in the room, a small room. And then like, I don't even know if there were beds, but a candle, a beeswax candle in the middle of the room. Oh yeah. We used to have rituals. We'd in have there. like rituals and like somehow we would be living in that room. But I'm like, how did this, would it work? Remember the, um, oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Ted was all about creating those like the vi- yes. clubs and stuff. Yes. And I remember, what was it called? Well, we had like. The key game. The key game. I just remember Dude. him coming up with that rap. was like, we meet tonight to reunite our words and our actions, decimals and fractions. Some days we chill, some days relaxing. 
That's what, what we had to all like chant before we would play oh, the key game. The key and game. the candle in his room, like he'd have those sterno candles yes. on a kick drum. Yes. And we'd like drink Robitussin and like <laughs> Robo tripping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he was calling it bird blood. And he, it was like it was like happening a lot. It, it wasn't even like this one time. They're like, you wanna go up and have some bird blood? Blood. Yeah. The, the key game, though, just so, uh, so people can know this one, because this was great. It was an old. It was someone oh, bought. Someone well, found we used an to old go break, key like rack. break into that factory well, behind. Well, here's what I remember, because I, I kind of forgot about the key game. Though, but there was a key rack, a big key rack, and on each hook from maybe, a factory. From so the, it had like from the factory fifty key fifty hooks key hooks, and on each one. There, the game was you had you wrote something uh, like a truth or di- not underneath a tr- each hook. Underneath each hook was written a little thing, a little thing, a task you had to perform, good or bad. Right, and so you throw, throw the, the key. key on, and it's just like wherever it lay, you did it. Most of them were fairly simple, or like you know some things here and there. Maybe yeah. run down with your pants down down the street. Yeah. But I remember there was one hook or a few hooks I'd that like said, to "Know what you remember about go the key to game. the factory." Oh yeah, and whenever Everyone. that happened. Was it scary. was like, oh boy, we got to do this because yeah. the factory was a little bit far. It was a little bit of a ways it was away. Like the bull center, you know, the bull center <laughs> it was behind that soccer field by the bull center. <laughs> the bull center. So to go to ah, the, the factory, a lot happened there. <laughs> that field. In order to do the game, if you hit the hook, you had to do it. And in order to go to the factory, you knew that was going to be the rest of the night. A and lot of them were like that. Yeah, they kind of shut yeah. the game down. And yeah, it was like, like, this is it, and now you're in it, and then it's going to take you in this whole new trajectory where like you just have to abide by the rules. Yeah. And if you go to the factory, you were in for it. Yeah. Because there was a lot of... There were definitely people living in there. Yeah, it was scary. It was yeah. like a little bit on edge. Like It was, it was this, dark, and you could fall several stories yeah. by walking in a room. very I mean, dangerous. It was insane, yeah. Like, we could have probably got something bad could have happened. if we're... Definitely. <laughs> the Bull Center, though, what was... Well, that, I, I just, that just popped into my head. I hadn't thought about that in forever. But I think that was the building that was over by the factory. Like, there was a soccer field there. We used to yes. go play kickball there. Yeah, that's where Zimba got sprayed by a skunk. She got sprayed by a skunk. I remember yeah. that. That's where she would always pop our kickball, too, because <laughs> she would chomp it. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> she loved kickball, but you know she always ruined it. She just run and she got a hold of it. The game was over. And she got skunked. Yeah, I remember taking her to or going to Seven Eleven and getting some V eight, <laughs> trying to get that off her. <laughs> but yeah, I think the factory was out there behind that the was bowl it. Center. That, that makes sense. Yeah, it was a little yeah. bit further away, and there was like Little Man's Deli along the way where you would crush it at Pac Man. Oh yeah, Miss Pac Man was my big that when that one. Yeah, that was a summer where it was. Uh, that's a very fond memory of like getting really good at Miss Pac-Man you were to incredible. win a sandwich. Yeah. And it was like one of those things again, we were like, we're not like doing much. Otherworldly talent. Um, I, I, what I'm, well, just to come back around, I'm really missing playing that during pandemic, going to the arcade and playing oh, yeah. Miss Pac-Man. So it's sad. I know we've got but that Pac-Man sitting on the that's porch. That's like it's torturous for me <laughs> that you have this Miss Pac-Man machine Man. that's on your porch that I come it's over. It's not for lack of trying. We've put a lot of effort. I know you have. To get that thing running. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, there's some, there's some tough, tricky things with it, but the Miss Pac-Man is, uh, 
Ooh, I challenge anyone out there right oh, now. Oh man, I'll challenge you Step to step right up. Big. Bradford's Bradford is he's he's got it going on. A big one. I'll challenge a big one. That was like intense watching you play. Leanne's kind of similar. I mean, Leanne's I'm really good. Similar Leanne, level with the Tetris, but well, she's also really good. Pat. I mean, I remember hosting one of the Miss Pac-Man tournaments in Tucson years ago. Oh really? And Leanne played and oh, won. Nice second or third place cool you know i mean it was it was a little it. i felt a little bit of a cheat because i like i didn't set up i was helping it's I, a real way to cheat at pack yeah it's like i'll set up and then i'll just win the tournament but it's like it was <laughs> leanne was like yeah she it's was a good hobby way up there i mean set she's, up tournaments you know you're gonna win yeah be like i'll just <laughs> set this up and host it and then i'll just beat y'all and take the money yeah but uh she's really good and she's a really good tetris player yeah i mean i brought her up because like it's just the only other time i've seen someone sort of embody that kind of focus where yeah like they're just tearing through at warp speed but i mean yeah. you would be like talking and laughing i mean you yeah. seemed like get into it and like that zone. not even like you were i mean you kind of made a game of how good you were at it in and yeah. of itself like yeah. you would just kind of show off or something yeah. i mean you weren't showing off. I, I just mean to say you 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 were like laughing and talking no, i would while show you off like, too <laughs> yeah i'd be like zipping around and be like i'm just th- this thing that's so easy you know and like and i know there's people for the record i know there's people better than me like they're out there oh sure and there's like yeah. really good players you know like <laughs> for old the school record. dudes i just want to <laughs> let it be known but but uh, yeah i feel like confident in that you know it's one of those things that's just yeah it's, yeah, super it's like hardcore gift. gamer, yeah. but um, I mean, yeah. that's kind of, I mean, that whole thing, like your abilities in that regard, this toddler crew that you yes. were a part of, this like manic <laughs> energy thing, this kind of natural entertainer, this natural high like octane twa- performer. Twaddlers. Yeah. Tweedlers. Little tweedlers. Like tween toddlers. Twiddlers. <laughs> Twiddlers. You and your Twiddler buddies. Yeah. Used to drive me insane sometimes. But oh, yeah. that's kind of what I, I wanted to get into yeah. when, when really trying to dig into this past. And it's working because, man, the things yeah. that I'm remembering, uh, thinking about the factory and the key game and all that stuff, too, is like a whole other, like, just yeah. floodgates opened up there. But yeah, that was just something I was hoping to kind of tap into with you today on this podcast centered around like yeah our, our friendship and, and our, our mutual friends and our past and stuff is just because there's just so much that it, with you in particular that sits with me mm. over all these years yeah and in particular with you because i feel like um there's a there's a harder part for me kind of coming full circle about like mm. the past often being laced with this heaviness yeah there was something about our friendship that uh I'm glad we've had this time to like really unearth a lot of the stuff and all out of the time so that yeah. I can kind of like get at this with some context. But I feel like there was something about our contrasting energies, even though it never translated to a trouble in our friendship. Mm. In fact, there are other friends I have and that we have that I think about to on that time. And I'm a, like me and John, I feel like there was a lot of times where I was yeah. really mad at John or he was so <laughs> hardcore <laughs> and we'd be working together too. And he'd be so bossy. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, yeah. my point is like, there were, you even when I balls, met John, take that balls. In middle, like in high school when I met John, I was like, this guy, yeah. punching you. I mean, he's like, you know, he's just tough, <laughs> a beautiful man. And, but just young John was just tough. Yeah. Yeah. And 
it's not like when I think back on you, I was like, oh yeah, Bradford and I, during those days, you know, we were at odds on some level because it wasn't the case, but there was something more nuanced Mm -hmm. that made me like, I think in a way made it hard for me to take you seriously. And I think that's ultimately what I, what I'm trying to get at where it's like, and, and but on like more a deeper version of not taking seriously, like obviously you were a goofball and you were always joking and like riffing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like you were someone going around commanding to be taken seriously or anything. Right. But I just mean right. like to even understand your basic existence was something that was a little bit hard for me. Yeah. And I do think at times it translated to me behaving towards you in a way that I didn't feel great about. Like mm. I feel kind. Of, I guess ultimately where I'm going with this kind of like emo lean here is that like, <laughs> I feel sort of bad about the way I uh, treated you at some points in our friendship when we were a lot younger. Uh-huh. And it's interesting to get the chance to p- kind of dig into it because like we've talked about with some of the older stuff, it's funny when you dig back into older issues. Yeah, Some of them, what what's ultimately funny about a lot of them is that they're totally irrelevant. They're not necessary. You don't need to address them. They've just been taken care of. Right. Like literally, it's not yeah. like I'm still running and hiding from them. It's like, yeah, it's not real anymore. Yeah. Like, so why bother? But there's, but one that is still a little real for me is just like having felt bad at points with the way I've treated you in the past. And, mm. Since we're like digging into it, I think it's helping me realize partially why. Because you know, I wasn't like a mean person. I never no. thought of myself as like a mean person. And no. it's like it's not like you and I had this beef that we were no. constantly dealing with. Yet yeah. there were times where I felt like I treated you almost like a caricature or something. Yeah. And it caused me to like talk to you or do things that like I wasn't even comfortable with at yeah. the time. And of course, like I was like drinking all the time. I was like uh-huh. so drunk all the time, and like you know, a young dude who didn't realize he was an alcoholic. I was definitely <laughs> like not of sane mind a lot of the times. And you did pee on me once. I peed on you. Yeah, I think that's a good example. But but I don't and I don't want to stop the the where you're going because I, just to halt it. I'm just saying it's I don't. I'm saying that, and it's like I don't feel like bad it's not yeah, like oh no, bad I, it's got so yeah. it's funny you know it's like I, I would have driven myself nuts man like i said earlier it's like if i was me yeah, it was a, kind of a, a kind of a nut house i would have been nut. i i don't know how you guys dealt with me with some of the way i was so that's the <laughs> other side of this the flip oh, side man. maybe you feel bad and like what well, i don't no, want I you mean, to feel I, guilty I, I just want you to f- be, be clear too i don't want you to feel like you have to like back engineer like no i'm not I'm just like, like it I, wasn't to like uh <laughs> it wasn't to suggest that like i need your uh like um your blessing here on this or are we cool or something it just yeah. uh, it's just a nuance that because we're in this yeah. unique situation talking in this unique way sure felt like a chance for me i don't know when else i'd be like you know brad there's been this kind of like nuance that's existed since going back to childhood basically uh this is during our, a time where this is our dashboard confessional yeah <laughs> man yeah <laughs> digging deep it is no it, it, it's funny how this is like a it can, can be a way for like uh confessional or public you know show i just did uh the other week with uh 
uh, the Moynihan Brothers. It was like a public. Oh, you did a, a Moynihan Brothers show? Yeah, yeah, I didn't tell cool. you that. That one's fun. Those guys are they're great. Um, but there was like some public apologies, and I was like, great, we'll do like a public apology here. Yeah. You know, let, let it rip, and it feel like let the burden be lifted. Sure. You know, and take it. But it's I appreciate that. I don't. I. Well, like I said, like I know it's not. It, it's I bring it up because I there's find not it beef. interesting. It's not, yeah. I, or, I mean. I, the nuanced part. The nuanced part, I can and, Yeah, I can and understand. I mean, obviously, it's like we're probably better friends now than yeah. ever, I would say. And I'd, it's I'd not like so. there's something that needs to be addressed. But yeah, it it's like in that lens of – it's an example of like mm. those things that exist inside of that lens of heaviness that often occurs when looking back. Yeah. It's things like that, you know? They just sit and they kind of hang out and they linger. And yeah. then sometimes if you're prone towards that sort of darker lens, when you look back, those are the things you're choosing, I'm choosing to see yes. or carry with me. Yeah. Not all these other things that were, you know, so many of the other things that we're talking about. Or, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like just talking about that and bringing that up just seems like sort of thematically yeah. in a larger sense, like one of the more interesting things that's been coming about for me via your podcast and listening to my friends talk <laughs> about yeah. yeah stuff that I was around for and like now, you know, talking to you about it and also being aware that our friends are listening and I know, uh, they're listening right now. To yeah. Us. What are you doing while you're hearing this right now? I mean, I feel like I'm hanging out <laughs> with my friends by doing yeah. this, talking to you. Just like when I, I listen to your podcast, I feel like yeah. I'm hanging out with my friends and, um, and, and making, and making new friends yeah. through, from a distance. Yeah. We don't even know, but it, it it it's interesting, you know. Even you talking right now, I'm, are we going? We get. I had to go up a couple. From get a that note one. for That's, the new friends. Yeah, note for the new friends. But we've entered into the next octave. We are. We're up there. That's uh, getting close, Brad. I think there's like the. Jeez, uh, if I think about, it, you know, I would, I would, I'd like to uh, make amends with uh, some girlfriends that I had, you know, or just like, or be, or just be able to like. Uh, yeah, some some of those actions, you know, just clearing up some of those ways I behaved, you know, which sure. were just immature. It's just immature, like <laughs> yeah, a kid, yeah. man. It's a kid. It was an old little baby. Yeah, just a little baby. Yeah, and a weirdo, Brad. You're a genuine weirdo. And a genuine weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was more than wrong, dude. I it's was a, it, right. I was so wrong that I was right. <laughs> It is. It is interesting. It is interesting. But yeah, the uh, it's funny. Even right now, just thinking about it, it's a, you know the feelings that are stored. Because I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the visceral feeling of it right now. Talking, and it's almost like you just the blueprint is in there. The blueprint is in your muscles and your bones and the body like the body feeling right now even talking about it i'm like i remember this oh man i remember that feeling and it's so much i can tune into that 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 feeling times of the year where it comes up or you know there's yeah it's it's interesting it's just really interesting and it may be being further away but because we're in it right now you and i and we're talking about it so much poking around yeah it's like we're calling off this state specific memory that's here you know that's shared by us you know in our bodies and our nervous systems and the psyche and it feels like it's so like alive right now yeah right here you know because i can feel it i can feel the feeling of like the um I, right now capriotis <laughs> Oh, man, yeah. Right, like this thing that was just such a oh man, a feeling. <laughs> 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 dude. 
<laughs> no, you didn't. No, you don't, oh, man. Veggie, veggie cheeseburgers. You when went I, there. When I was back east uh, this summer, I went to Andrew's, and we were hanging out. Andrew, Liza, Rory, Balls, and, and Balls comes in. He comes up the hill and comes in the pool, and he's like, here's Capriati's. I'm like, no, no, you didn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't get a chance to get it. I'm here. When do I ever get back there to get the Capriati's? <laughs> oh, no, you don't. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, it's also cool, too, because, like, I, I don't know. It feels like we're opening up that zone together. But, like, I also feel like such a different person now yeah. personally. Yes. And you seem like such a different person now. Yeah. And also the other combination of, like, we, we are relating in yeah. a different way now than we yes. were then. And yeah. it's like there's so many variables that have come into place to, to where, like, <laughs> even though it's just you talking about you and I talking about ourselves, it feels weirdly uh, like, uh, like, uh, like fictional or something. It's weird. It's and like, I think also like I mean I don't. This is the whole thing. Like I said, like when I when I listened to that raccoon episode, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Not just because, not even because of the subject, not having nothing to do with the subject, just purely on a simpler level, going through this weird memory bubble in the weirdest way, which was like yeah. listening to people, listening to my friends talk. I, d I still don't know how to articulate it, but yeah. basically what it made me realize is that I don't have a great memory in the simplest sense of putting it. And secondly, I don't think about the past that much, Yeah. but I do feel it a lot. Yeah. yeah. So the weight of the past and this emotional sense I think is probably uh, a legitimate burden in my life. Like it's not mm. insignificant by any means, yeah. the weight of it emotionally, yeah. the specifics of it in any sort of mental uh, narrative or like any sort of specific details or moments of it is really just gone. And it's just weird to realize the disparity between those two effects of the past. Like yeah. one being definitely kind of a problem, mm on the one side and on the other side just kind of being gone like yeah maybe there's i mean i don't know i, I this maybe just kind of like psychology 101 or something in some ways like you just block <laughs> off stuff or like compartmentalize I, I, it or something yeah and i don't even mean to like get too weirdly heavy about it. i just mean like mechanically that's weird like mm. just to just hold on to the essence of a period of time so closely, but it just in this kind of big ball of feeling. Yeah. And then to like disregard any of the details that actually define that. Yeah. And just kind of like then. So then when you do think about the details, they're all just bathed in this like ball thing, this emotional pretense that Emotion. it was all heavy and hard. An emotional ball of emotional broth yeah just a stew there's like of... oh, to only access it through that you know because yeah. that's the primary element of the past that has stuck with me is just that emotional broth for lack of a better word yeah. so if i want to access memories they have to go through that and so then everything looks weird and then i guess stay away from it i guess however talking with you about it or listening to my friends talk about a bunch of stuff that i was also in on brought these specifics and these details into me mm. that aren't often there yeah and it was weird and cool and made yeah. me realize things and that i'm still like trying to learn how to articulate that even for myself but yeah. you know this podcast you know and yeah. that, like has kind of shaken that yeah shaken that out a little bit it's like uh <clears throat> 
it's like therapy a little. Yeah, it's I like guess so. some therapy to just yeah. like splur purging urge to sp urge to <laughs> splurge urging splurge to urging purge urge purge splur urge urge splurge is the word man <laughs> the urge is the purge. We could call this going number four. It's <laughs> <laughs> what number just, four out yeah, my crown chakra. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dude, that just <laughs> yeah, a close harmony. <laughs> um, the um, <laughs> it is a it is a good one though. I think it's good to like. <clears throat> freeing to be able to 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 go into those areas and terrains strange terrain yeah yeah it's yeah strange terrain literally i was surprised to hear that those guys talking about that was really interesting to me because in my mind i remember at the time thinking okay this is good like yeah. that first raccoon album was just us like banging on yamaha drums <laughs> in some guy's basement and like it was awful like adat and we're screaming and it just a terrible sounding yeah. music to me the yeah. experience of being in the band was fun i don't want to sound like i'm sweeping all yeah. that you know in the but like but they but this is what i was saying too about the whole like dr dog simultaneous with raccoon thing it's like yeah when we did strange terrain it felt more like what dr dog was like where we yeah. would make these crappy sounding recordings but it was just weird how raccoon sort of like in in an unconscious way or in an undecided way operated outside of that, where it was like, if we were going to record, we were going to go, Oh, it's like, Oh, we can go to the studio at night. Or well, I know this guy. And it's like, yeah, it, it's weird how that happened when meanwhile, a huge part of reality, like the entirety of reality really was like based on home recording and making stuff in that way. Yeah. And that aspect of life was cut off from raccoon except when terrain, strange terrain was made it was sort of like they bled together a little bit yes and i remember at yeah. the time thinking i'm into this yeah but it's funny to realize that the way that like the, what those guys said that album was like this big misstep because it kind of was in a way yeah like in this in the sense of where that band was at at that time and the songs we had and what we were doing going on tour and yeah scrapping together i mean but you know years later that's exactly what dr dog did we scrapped together random crap like that and it was <laughs> it was toothbrush and we got on tour and like you know S my point scrap. is that like scrap. strange terrain while it was like is, is interesting to hear about from a different lens because to me at that time that was the thing within raccoon that felt the most like my universes were combining in a good mm, way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but you know, it's not like I'm trying to suggest that at that time I was really reluctant to the way we, I wasn't at all. Mm. Again, all this stuff is just kind of happening and you look at it with hindsight, but yeah. I specifically do remember thinking, cool, strange terrains. I'm into this, you know, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't listened to it in so long, but I'm sure I like it more than that first album. Like, uh, listening yeah. to like, listening to that. I mean, those recordings are just like, <laughs> that's rough man we didn't know any better i mean you know we didn't know no stuff it's, it, i, feel I mean like you can appreciate the madness of it like yeah. uh, like the way those guys were talking about the band i totally can and like w and listening to them really helped me kind of get more perspective on it for sure it, like i said especially with toby and his vibe at that time and like yeah 
the music he was writing and just how kind of like illogical but unique it was. Yeah. Um, and I know in part that that band was sort of like, we kind of knew we were that, but not very specifically. I think it was mostly just that's like, Toby wasn't sitting down like going, oh, how can I like, ru-? like, he was just being himself. And yeah. like, we kind of called it something yeah. all these years later. But I, I really think like his, his, his weird instincts in music, like kind of define that thing for us all. And, yeah. and, and, you know, it made it a very forgiving landscape for all of us to just sort of hack our way through with like barely any understanding of what we were doing and just a lot of like love for doing it, yeah. love for each other and stuff. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know where, where, where we kind of went to from that, what we were talking about. It doesn't uh, even matter. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter how we got there. How we're here, we're here, <laughs> which is great. What a relief. Oh, man. It's a relief to not have to get somewhere. And like, there's so much, there's so much in life where it is like, oh, I got to get to this. And, you know, it's, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's nice to have this unstructured in that way. And like, uh, I'm still learning that, you know. That's a what practice. are some other cool things you, you, like, you remember from back then? I remember like loving giving people haircuts. Yeah, you were good haircutter as are happy memories you, like giving doug yeah. haircuts yes yes especially doug because he developed this whole thing with it where we each it was like conceptual yeah. every haircut had a concept <laughs> so he'd come to me like an album cover or something or like you know a mood yeah like a beachy mood or something you know some abstract mood. kind of directive <laughs> and we'd hone it in you know with some basic choppy choppy haircut <laughs> But he was awesome with the vibes on that. Like yeah. his Nick Drake haircut phase yes. was pretty sweet. His yes. high top, like the high top phase. The high top. He's still kind of rocking that high top phase. Yeah, big heat. Big heat. It's like, I mean, that's the high top. This one high top phase came in, right? Yeah, I think it was I around think. the same time. Yeah. Um, that'll, yeah, that's, I, I mean, that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. that was all, I, I've got really good memories of all that. I mean, all those times. Do you remember Hunter chewing on that book? Well, yeah, yeah, we didn't talk about that. That was the time, that was uh, that was a moment where something clicked big time, where it was just like this, so... When you were talking about the first time you got stoned, I thought you were going to say that was it. No, I don't think I was stoned at that point yet. Uh, I don't think I had yet, but I was in that vibe because... You lost it. I lost it, man. Hunter Hysterics. was chewing, and you say... That's how it was you. You said that this. Oh, he's, he's nibbling on the he, corner of a paperback book. Of a paperback book on the floor, <laughs> and you said that's how he's reading it. Yeah, that's how he's taking it in. That's how he reads. Yeah, that's and how he reads. Like, and I lost it. Yeah, I, that was it. I mean, to the to where I like remember it to this day. You're, you like broke down. Yeah, the, in hysterics. The level of like laughter. So there was the manic side that I felt that from in me, and then. Uh, when it was just like pure laughing, the funniest stuff. Yeah, it's kind of self-perpetuating. Yeah, it, it was just, just like, like it goes. would just go, and and so that kind of stuff for me yeah. was like the best of the best. You know, there's just oh, nothing man, better yeah. than getting into that funniest, the funniest realms where something like that comes out, and it's just like, what a great vibe. Oh man, it's a high yeah. high of just like you know the the laughter. You, you know what's funny about this is like. Uh, Toby and Doug and I, I remember, these guys will remember this, like we had a follow-up to the Swamp Brewing and we had even started it. We had started to do some songs, Uh but it was like our sort of like continue, it was like we had had that experience, which was so cool. 
And to this day, I still can't even like possibly do it justice describing like yeah. what a joy that process living through that swamp yeah. making process was. And hot, fresh off the heels of that, we were just ready to open our next movie life yes. that we were about to live. Yeah. And it was based on laughter, I remember. And, oh. and, and it was based on like a magician. I remember one thing. One, laughter was one of the themes. We were going to make laughter and the prevalence of laughter throughout the album be one of the main yeah. things. In part because every time we were rolling tape, we were cracking up. I mean, we right. were just always winging it, yeah. stoned with the mic on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so there was just a lot of laughter winding up in everything that we recorded. Yeah. But in this place, and in this instance, we decided, we figured out a way to like make that purposeful and have that become like one of the thematic characters in this new story we were going to be telling. And <sighs> the story was like about this magician who, uh, that we were, you know, getting ready. He was our new like protagonist, our yes. new phrases. And he was this guy who was a street magician, this janky street magician that most people walk right by or like walk their kids around or something. Like he didn't look good. He looked like a bum. Yeah. He was a mess and he was performing tricks on the street corner. <laughs> but the reality of this guy was that like he was like basically like the master of the universe. Like he for one, like the tricks he was doing on the street were actual magic. He was like he was actually performing magic, yeah. not tricks. Yeah. And when he would go home at night into like his like hovel where he lived in some alley or something, <laughs> he was concoct. He was like messing with the fates of the universe and directing the cosmos oh. in all of these huge and heavy ways and stuff. Oh, and yes. uh, I remember D like Doug being like laughing, being like, "Let's keep the laughter, man." Because we. <laughs> Yeah, we'd be like laughing during a take, and then Doug would be like, "We gotta keep this, man. We gotta keep the laughter." And there was just like, yeah, that like you're talking about that deep joy coming out of it, and we were yeah. trying to like get into that, like the yeah. harness, like harness that power, like whatever that weird self perpetuating power of like la like laughter and yeah, like what caused you to go into hysterics about Hunter chewing on a book. <laughs> Where it really becomes about you laughing that pushes it forward, and there's like there is just so much cool power in that and yeah um i remember i i vaguely remember we had started some songs and stuff and uh it was beginning but i don't know what cut it short i mean i guess like toby ended up moving to york because oh. we were th this was all going on when we were like just got to philly and we were living in our first apartment there that andrew had gotten in the art museum in the art there. museum oh, that was then up me there. and toby and andrew and then eventually oh, damien yes. and then sharon was staying there a ton yeah until that just eventually turned into like me and sharon moving out to the west philly into to west marty philly and i with marty with and you yes yeah wow, at well, first yeah because you took over that was always a little tricky you i I left, but then Marty. You was were still... living in that apartment. I was there with Marty. Marty had got there. Then I was there, and then I went to pig iron stuff. And then Marty was still there, but then Marty gave it over. We lived to... with Marty for a little while. Yeah, and then he left. And then Justin moved in. Yeah, and, and Andrew, Andrew too. But I don't know if Justin was before Andrew or if An I think Justin was before Andrew. I think. Okay. Yeah. Because the whole Justin and Sharon, I remember that got rough. Like there was a lot of like just bad roommate vibes of that, yeah. Yeah. and that, and then he ended up leaving, and um, and then Andrew moved in. That was obviously way better. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. 
but then also Toby by that point had started his um, apprenticeship in York with Mark Bluett doing right. the uh, Luthier yes. apprenticeship and um, he he would pay fifty bucks I think it was to have our closet we had like a big walk-in the closet, closet and me which and I, I remember coming and staying in when I would had come a big back, enough for a bed in it it was huge yeah I mean it was like it was about the size of a twin bed and then it yeah. had like yeah a little f- place you could stand in front of the bed right but then it had a little <laughs> closet in it. So if you had that, like, yeah, it had a bed, a little zone, like a little two foot by two foot zone you could stand, and then a little closet. Toby had it pretty vibed out. He like yeah. he put like hung like thing like tarp tapestries on the wall. Yeah. It looked, good. it felt good in it felt there. Like a room. Yeah, he he has a good decor type of style. Yeah, and uh, he would come back on the weekends from York and. Theoretically, that's where he was staying. But I think in reality, he wasn't staying there much because Sarah was living in the city by that point. Yes. With Margaret. That and, was uh, it. Yeah, right. He, West he would mostly. Yeah, over in like weird West Philly, like by Spring Garden or something. Like in that. I think so. Other yeah. Part of, yeah, I don't quite know where those. I think it was like 39th or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a little off radar. Because one of those there. zones, like Drexel zones yeah. that I didn't really go to that much. Yeah. That's <laughs> Dude, that was. So you moved to Philly and lived in West Philly. It was. It must have been like from there that you came here. Then, that was it. That was kind of it. I remember it was. I I left West Philly. It was after like Pig Iron doing that show, and then it was just kind of like this. Um, we're getting into that zone again. You just tricked me into getting to that dark dark vibe. What? Well, no, just because it was like I was all. you know, uh, didn't know what was going on. I was like, Ray, what do I do? Where do I go? Yeah. What do I do? What do I do? And then it was off the walls. bouncing off the walls. And then I'd left, came out to visit in like 2003 summer. I was like, okay, I got to come out here. So that was it. It was just like, I got to get out of the city. And that was, so it, be, it was kind of like West Philly, Pig Iron. I was, we were in Princeton and then I was just kind of like bouncing around a little yeah, after. Right. You were in West Philly for a while. You did the Hollow Earth thing. Yeah, that was well. That was different. That was, Hollow Earth was a few years later. Oh, you came back for well, that. I came back, and I remember oh. you guys were on tour, and I stayed at your place. Yeah, Sharon and I base were there. Larchwood. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. it. And I was there kind of for the the Queen show with Pig Iron, and then the Hollow oh, Earth. Oh, Queen that. show too. That's right. That was yeah, great. It was fun. Mission to Mercury. Yeah, Mission to Mercury. That's so good. Every Pig Iron show is so good. Well, you were in the James Joyce one. Yeah. Dang, I forgot how much Pig Iron stuff you did. I know. The James Joyce was amazing. Man, that was was like the first piece of theater I ever saw. I'd never really been to a play before that. And it just melted my brain. That was so good. Then go to Pig Iron for it. It's like, whoa, (laughs) these guys, like, I, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I forgot you had done so much of that. Yeah. Yeah, you were in the city for a while, man, because yeah, I was. you were like going to a scene every day for treats. That was the thing. Like, I miss that so much. Yeah. I miss a scene so much. Yeah, a scene was like uh <laughs> Yeah, that was that was that was cool. <laughs> I miss a scene. It's totally different now, so it's it's a little bit of a sad state. A sorry sack. Sack of lunch. The um but yeah, the coming gosh, yeah, that's in the time I was trying to get to like what point I was trying to remember like at what point you came here because I I mean I do other things I remember I like I remember when you were living with Kate Mazza and for a while we had our 388 over there and I'd go over to your house and record yes recorded a bunch of stuff there that's right and recorded you there yeah we did like a live I have a live cassette of Traffic Jam 
Yeah, did some few cool of us. stuff. It's great. It was really good. Did um, cause you're mine. Yeah, man, dude, cause you're mine. And uh, I remember recording Oof. um that Doctor Dog song there. Um. Uh, me and my girl. Oh man, I remember going down in that, that basement because you had a drum wow. kit down there. Yes. We were like practicing down there. Was, that's another funny thing where it's like, how do we fit into all these places? Like you just did it, you know, like we were in a room, but we, that was a practice room and a bedroom and yeah. you just fit it in, you know, Yeah. From just cause it was a necessity of oh, space. God. I mean, space. Well, yeah. You think back on the spaces we were playing and working in it's like ridiculous. at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that, that actually gets bonafide, like cr- kind of crazy to think about. But yeah, doing the, um. Ah, that's when you did that. I forgot you did some some dog stuff there. Yeah, I had, was... I had cooked up a few like recordings on there that ended up on like passed away or something. But um, yeah, yeah, like, toothbrush or something like yeah. I mean, all that early stuff was just kind of cobbled together from the various locations of the 388 for a span of <laughs> five years or whatever it wound up. I remember how exciting it was when the 388 came and yeah, man, seeing it and like because it was a I never I never had seen anything like that. It was just you know, like. I can't remember like how Toby and I got that. Yeah. We pulled our money and got that thing. It was 900 bucks. It was yeah. like 1998 or 99 or maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Around then. And I think we got it off eBay because it showed up in the was, mail. I think it was the first, like a first but I eBay had not purchase. even understood how to order anything off eBay till like a year ago. Right. So how the hell. That's, and I don't ever remember being on the internet. Yeah. In yeah, college. It's, it's, I mean, it was hard to get on the internet and how to do stuff. How I don't know ha- who made that happen or how that happened. Like, yeah. I don't know. I got to ask Toby, like, how yeah. we stumbled into that method for acquiring that machine and how we even knew about that machine. Yeah. There's so... The 388 has become such a staple and such a character in my life, obviously. Yeah. But when I think back to how we got our first one, I don't understand a thing about how... We, <laughs> I don't understand how we, how we got it on any level. That's a mystery. I do remember it showing up in a giant box, though. I remember. I remember the unpacking. Ripping it open and just wondering how it worked and if it worked. And yeah, yeah. It worked. It's a whole nother level. That thing didn't go off. Or, oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. That's... Yeah, that, that was awesome because that, that one got kind of driven into the ground. You yeah. didn't know anything about like maintaining it or cleaning it. And the <laughs> tapes we were using were like, you know, old, 60 worn years out. old yes. tapes with like yeah. waltzes on them and stuff. I remember that, yeah. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, and then it just died. And yeah. then I went and found out about this guy selling one in New Jersey. A few, this was years later because this was at Meth Beach. By, that, by this time we had the studio, our first studio. Yeah. So like must've been at least like 2006 or seven by this point. And there was this guy, I was coming back from Connecticut and driving from Connecticut to Philly. And I, I, I had, I knew there, there, I had found out this guy was selling one in New Jersey and I went to his house and it wound up being one of those awesome random things. Like he was just this random guy in New Jersey and, uh, but you go down in his basement and he had like little light show and a mini stage where he and his friends jam Oh man! and he had worked for TIAC. And also he had these credits where he had like played horns with like Harry Belafonte or something. Oh. And so he had like headshots and <sighs> glossies on the wall. It was such a Jersey thing, yeah, you know? Yeah. So yes. And, uh, yeah. and he was awesome. And not only that, he had this pristine 388 <sighs> and he worked for TIAC <sighs> before he retired. So Jeez. I told him that like I had had a 388 for years and that it had died and I didn't know how to go about dealing with fixing it or anything. And so I just want to get a new one. 
And he's like, well, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a two for one on this package because I'm going to sell you mine, which is great, but I'm also going to send you home with the knowledge on how to fix yours. Oh, and uh, he totally did. He taught me this trick on how to align it and oh. uh, um, showed me in the manual where it talks about it, And then, but drew me like a even simpler diagram on how yeah. to pull this off yeah. and where to open it up on the top and what to adjust. Oh. It's like these electrical connections where you like, there's no actual physical connect it, and I need to get into it. But yeah. point is he taught me what was most likely, I described to him what was wrong with R388 and he pretty much diagnosed it from that, taught me how to fix it. And I went back, showed up at the studio, brought in the, the new one yeah, and then busted out the old one, did what he said and it was working fine. <laughs> it's really man. satisfying. That is so awesome. <laughs> you can have a 388 based podcast bit just yeah I mean, the, the amount of like things that so many people i'm sure have to say about that machine and its presence throughout many years of people making music it's the perfect machine yeah i had my i had my own you know yeah. we had galactic fed times and we recorded a bunch of stuff it was cool how there was like this cachet of them getting passed around yeah It'd be like i remember for a while we had one that was like justin's but then yes. i think like the golden boots yeah, then they got, got one. that one, and then yeah. at a certain point, it just became clear who had whose. Yeah, but I remember years in the mix. Yeah, same thing. Getting it off eBay when it was like still pretty fresh, early two thousands, and like it was like, wow, this is this is working. It's like, everything you need. Yeah, God, it's amazing. Three D. That'd be a fun one. Yeah, do a full dive in the whole three D. Or world. just like a panel. Get a, a bunch panel. of people that know a lot yes. about three D eights to talk about it because yeah. I'd like that. That'd be fun. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, we should we should set that. I'm up still learning things about that thing. I mean, yeah. I just recorded the Big Thief stuff on it like in December. Yes. And that was like a whole new level of the 388 for me. Yeah. Like I, I'd never gone at it in that way. Yeah. And also with like real good quality um, microphones. Yeah. And uh, in a situ in a good sounding room with good instruments and a great band like yeah. I've recorded on, on it obviously a lot and we've yeah. done like full band recordings on it but that was always it's like everything happens in steps you do these mm. things but mm -hmm. then you do it properly or quote unquote or you know just in a better way in a more refined way a yeah. well maintained clean machine yeah with like good microphones yeah and a, and a better sense of like tones with a really good band that has a good sense of all that stuff too so it was like yeah. definitely the most refined context of recording on that machine than i've ever had after all these years and like hours and hours logged on that machine like so a many lot. recordings on that thing yeah and yet i was still blown away by yeah like what it can do and how fun it is to use and um utilizing the various jacks on the back that i'd never bothered <laughs> to look at before jesus that's, that's excited. I'm excited for that one. You told me about that, and that sounds good. Oh, that was nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like the perfect pairing, like a, that band and working that way, just kind of down and dirty like that, quick. And yeah, I think that band like really thrives in that type of way. Like, can we get this first take? You know? Yeah. I mean, there's such a like such a feel with their their way they play, and yeah, I think from work from seeing that, like I can tell they really love to capture things at the freshest possible point warts and all yeah and so i think that machine like in like that kind of environment it was well suited and the fact that it could sound that good i i really yeah. thought it just would sound okay you know? yeah and i'm not trying to say it sounds like some like incredible thing it just sounds like 
sounds totally really, good. Really yeah, good. it's not like it all really compromised in my ear. I mean, yeah, about half the songs, like the kick drum, Mike died. I, we didn't, I didn't know until after. Oh, so it, it like a, like maybe some of them lack a little oomph, but uh, <laughs> um, but on the whole, I mean, I, like it's like the kind of situation where that doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is what I tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really Everybody's matter. Everybody's cool with it. Yeah, every, y'all are no fine with that. No album. You know, he needs a kick You're going to be fine with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> just going to... No, we can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it's old school, like no kick drums, man. Yeah, it's just what they want. We made it all the way. Um, we'll do Cognizant of Time here. I want to just like, you know, just give us some... Uh, uh, a, uh, I did just rake through all the notes. You did. I was like, you just went up. We're I done. That we did it. Says it. Yeah. Um, we did we, get there. Yeah, and we can do it. We could do it again. You know, that's the beauty. We could just do more. Dude, we do this every day. We man. Do this every single day. Man. <laughs> a twenty-four-seven podcasting, oh, man. live stream, talking <laughs> constantly. Um, I have had these questions. You know, some of these questions I had at the end of some of the shows, I, I forgot to do it in the past couple, but. I got two questions to end with here, okay. which are pretty easy. They're not hard hitting. They're soft touching questions. Hard hit it. Googie gag. Much rather you hard hit me. Googie. One is <laughs> I'm bringing up the old maniacal side. Uh, yeah. One is uh, what was your favorite toy growing up? My favorite toy? Yeah. Or um, ever. It doesn't have to be grown yeah, up. Yeah. You can have a toy now. I mean, you know? uh I'm trying to think what has stood out. I mean, there was there was this little gizmo I had, like when Gremlins came out, I had oh, a stuffed gizmo. Yes. And I was pretty stuck to that thing. Yeah. I needed that thing. Yeah. And um then when E. T. came out, I had an E. T. but that was a bit more complicated. There was terror in the mix. Right, because you can't snuggle. And my brother, and... my older brother used to like, yeah, he used to like, I mean, he he, he like played on how scary E.T. was. He put on E.T. masks and chased me around oh. and like, oh. it was like, I loved E.T., but it was constantly scary. And with yeah. him around always scaring me with E.T. related ways. Yeah. It kept E.T. in that sort of like, <laughs> you know, sweet, bittersweet yeah. thing. But it made the little stuffed E.T. guy like I was pretty into, I was really into that. Yeah. But, um, you know, the truth is I wasn't really that into toys. Like my folks even say it like they're like, oh. yeah, you never really like toys that much. Yeah. And I try to think back on like, what was I doing? Mm. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I played outside a lot. Outdoor play. Yeah. And we had a bucket of Legos. Yeah. And um, but I mean, like I skated right through so many of the the toys of our generation. Like I remember GI Joes were around, Transformers were around. Yeah. I remember all those things and being over some friend's house and, but like I was never that into it. And um, but I did like Gizmo and ET and um, I, I think those are the two that stand out the most as far as like. I loved motorcycles and I had like uh, one of those motorcycles that uh, my cousin Jim and I were both really into motorcycles. I remember and we both had those motorcycles that I don't think they would make anymore because they're actually super dangerous, but it had a helmet on the back of it oh, and you pulled the helmet real hard yes. connected to a string and it got the wheels going. Yes. And that thing would take off. Like it would smash glass. It would like, 
or you get your hair caught in it like yes. the wheel would yeah yes and yeah you could get yourself hurt with those things which i think is partly why they were so fun they're real powerful yeah yeah um loved that thing yeah. and i loved anything that was skateboard related like yeah had mini decks like like little oh, finger skateboards the fingerboards and stuff yeah like, yeah and did you remember like you could go like at the grocery store did you ever notice did you ever get into this world where like at the grocery store in the milk section the uh, the gallon of milk has the handle right yeah there's a little piece of plastic that gets popped out of the that like oh, where they yeah. press the mold for, you know, yeah, a yeah. skateboard shape oh yeah and yeah. you could bend the it even has like the pointier nose and the rounder tail. Oh man. And you could bend it cuz there was like this other added lump of plastic right in the middle that basically dictated the perfect bending spot on it for a, yes. a like for a kick nose and a kick tail. Yeah. And then you could put like a little piece of grip tape on it oh and my like God. have this perfect little deck. It's awesome. Yeah. I never had that. Yeah, that was cool, man. Skate I loved there was a lot of skating I mean I skate I skated I mean I started skating in like first grade and we me and my friends like I mean it was all about skating yeah until like probably I mean that lasted till probably like eighth or ninth grade I mean even then I still skated I remember you guys were skating yeah it just didn't have the same I think for a while you skate and it's like alive and then at Mm -hmm. a certain point you like find your place with it you're like all right, I hop on a board sometimes yeah but you're no longer like chasing it. You're not yeah. like trying to get this trick or that trick. Or yeah. You're just like able to cruise and do something. Yeah. Hang with your friends. Cruising dude. Yeah. Dude cruising. About you as your favorite toy. My favorite toy. Ooh, the tables have turned. The sword has two edges. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would probably say my favorite toy was probably G.I. Joe. Really? I had a lot cool. of G.I. Joes back then. I I did. I was fairly toy-laden in my youth. I had toys. I had yeah. a lot of toys. I, I think the G, I think G.I. Joe might have done it. Cool. was probably, like, the, the ones that I, like, took to. Yeah. Um, Masters of the Universe, for sure, and stuff. But yeah. Like, I think... Oh, He-Man? Um. Uh, Is that Masters of the Universe? Yeah, yeah, He-Man. I definitely had a bunch of He-Man, and they were cool because they had like all these moving parts that you know you just like press this thing, and new guys and their head would pop up or like oh yeah, the guy with the spinning head. Yeah, yeah, spins. So they have all these special things. Yeah, Manny Faces was his name. No way, Manny Faces. Um, But here, the next question. Next question. Favorite movie of all time? Of all time. All time. Um, I mean, the, the, I'd say that Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind is always in my short list. Oh, wow. Um, I'm not the world's like biggest movie buff, but, um, yeah, that movie hit me so hard and it does every time. I love that movie so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's probably, that's probably up there. That's a good one. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, that's. Nothing else is really screaming out at the moment, but I think it's one of those things. I'm sure later, yeah, I'll remember other movies that I'm super into, but uh, yeah, but that one is always like, yeah, right there on the edge of my thoughts, like, yeah, as far as movies go, it's a good, it's, yeah, it's and just, Jim Carrey, man, like that guy keeps being so cool to me. Like, I don't know what's up with that guy, Jim Carrey, yeah, just Jim Carrey movies, or like, well, it just him in general, but like learning more about him and learning more about his life and like where he was at when he made that movie, like coming off of man on the moon and oh, wait, stuff. Steve Carell. Wait, 
Eternal. Oh, sorry, dude. I kept. <laughs> that's so weird. Little Sunshine of. I kept thinking of Little Miss Sunshine. I'm like, that's your favorite movie? Oh no. I was no. like, to, yeah, Eternal Sun. Yeah. So he was in some. Yes. Yeah, he was, he was some, like pretty pretty rough shape emotionally, yes. and I, like the director told him to stay that way and stuff. Michelle did Gondry you see that like, document? Yeah, yes. it was cool. It was really good. And I like how Jim Carrey was like, "That's how fucked up this business is." Like, yeah. that's what this guy they tells me. They want that. They want yeah. you to like get into that zone and keep you there and like to get and a good performance. Hit, yeah, I was like, "Whoa, that's, that's a pretty fantastic movie." You know, his uh, I mean, Michelle Gondry's all his stuff is great, and like that yeah. is just. That one's a heavy Well, I mean, man, like I say what I say about it in part, yes, because I sat there and enjoyed watching it and have many other times. But the one thing that I will say about that movie that I can't say about any other movie is that I literally felt weird when, like, I felt weird when it, like when, I remember we watched it in the movie theater and I walked out and I felt like I was on acid. I literally did. Like the car, you know, movie theater carpet, like Mm -hmm. all the colors and stuff. Yeah. I was like. It was swirling, and we bumped into some <laughs> friends. I remember we saw like Brendan Cooney, I think it was, at the uh, yeah. movie theater yeah. in West Philly. Yeah, and so it had to have this brief like social encounter. But I was like so anxious. I like I had so much like weird self uh, awareness, like druggy self awareness. Yes. Yeah, and I was like had my hands in my pocket. I remember squeezing this coin. I was like, all I did was watch <laughs> this movie. Yeah. And then we walked and stopped at the 7-Eleven on the way home. And I remember just standing in front of the glass doors of beverage options being like, oh, my God. (laughs) And just I I think it was like something where like that movie like held my focus in one particular way for so long. Yeah. And that the place that it holds you is not reality. It's like in this like abstract landscape that's rooted in like memory and emotion. Yeah. The places he enters, like mm-hmm. the, the landscape, the, the setting yeah. of the movie spends so much time in the abstract, emotional, poetic representation of his life and his past and his yeah. emotions and stuff, I guess. And yeah. so being put in that zone and being held there made coming back to reality like require a certain transition back yeah and i've never felt like that before from a movie but it has made me realize that i love movies like that that like create a landscape out of a mental or emotional state it's like a thing i've come to look for in movies now it's like yeah i saw a movie recently that did that I i forget which one but yeah anyway that yeah that's one of the reasons why that movie stands out is because it's physical effect on me. It's, it's palpable. I know the yeah. same feeling. It made you feel like you're on a drug trip. Yeah. And it, it really got you there. It did, <laughs> man. No joke. Yeah. Yeah. And even talking about what we're talking about earlier, the heaviness of like memories and this yeah. stuff. It's like, it's, it's there. It's like this deep stuff. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, I love it, man. I love that. Dude, so good to talk. Uh, so what, is there anything specific you want to plug? I mean, I want to just, you know, obviously, like, check out all Dr. Dog music. Oh, and, yeah, man. Dr. Uh, Dog. All Dr. Dog. And um, and right now, press all on. All our friends. All our friends. Check out all our friends. Yeah. Check out all the friends of the friends and, and do that. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe you can make a maintain, like, a, a list of, you know, relevant links for people to check out in your podcast bio or whatever, the way people do that. You can show people like, yeah, 
Doug's that's what world I'm doing. and just like, you know, other pe- things we talk about, you can yes. sort of s- s- direct people. That's a good it. idea. That's a good idea because I have some links. Yeah, obviously I'm going to press on records. You're yeah, press on record records. Record label here. tape cassette label, which is yes. constantly churning out fun new music. Such and good stuff. It's a big growing catalog now. Yeah, There's I mean, it's a, been not more, slightly about a year and a half. And we're up to like, I think 15 or 16 dude. tapes. And we've got a fun one coming up soon, Duff Thompson. Duff Thompson. Yeah, this guy Duff Thompson, who we only is just also a friend of a friend, uh, Matt yeah. from Twain and Ken and those guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. They told me about their friend Duff Thompson, who was who used to live in New Orleans, but since the pandemic moved to Canada. Um, but um, he makes his awesome music, beautiful music. And Ken nice. told us he was looking for some tapes for his yeah. new album he made, which is called Haywire. Oh. And so we gladly obliged, and then we got those all worked out and we should be um they're at the manufacturer now so we should have them within a couple weeks so the next thing we'll put out is uh is that that tape but i mean we just yeah we just do like a few little tapes on the side of what is usually normally people's actual release so like you can hear duff thompson's haywire album right now if you just go online and look for duff thompson haywire it's it's not like we have any kind of exclusive um it's like you have to get there yeah. anyone's music from uh, from press on it. We just do the tape. Do you hear that right now? Put your hand through the computer screen and reach in and pull it out of the Ethernet, your internet. What the Haywire album? Yeah, just yeah. put your hand into it's beautiful. your screen. It, it really is. It's a warm, glowing album. It, it, it's mm. a, his 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 style of singing and music and songwriting is. Yeah. It's definitely well worth everyone checking out. It feels, uh, I mean, it's pretty new to me too. I, I'm just, nice. I've been loving it. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting stuff. There's the, all those, all the releases are there. It's so good. They've Meanwhile, by Bradford Trojan. It's, yeah. My hot drop from last year. <laughs> that's a hot drop. <laughs> Original that's a, love. That's a hot plop. Yeah, it was a hot plop from Milton <laughs> I made Scott a hot back plop. there. That, Original love is fantastic. Um, that album. Be that, honest, man. Well, but it's it is fantastic. <laughs> I think it's kidding. funny because I've heard every version of well, that yeah. album. Yeah, yeah. I got to hear knowing too much. I've got to hear every um, incarnation, which is really there's. A, yeah, I made that like album another. five times. Let's be square. Let's just tell. Yeah, let's be honest. I did. I made that album so many times. We can have another podcast where I talk about the original love episode <laughs> of my life. I'd be happy to talk about it. I don't mean to paint it as a yeah. Uh, as a big as a big bird it, it, it was, was a lot fun. of work weirdly yeah but i i love it i love that music so much it's it's really it's awesome and i've i've been enjoying going through that process hearing it all like how it's it's been birthed and rebirthed and reincarnated and yeah it's i think uh, maybe in the end i realized i just didn't want it to end yeah but i had to Sometimes, i had to call it at some point yeah that's that's okay sort of random where it landed in the grand scheme of things given the yeah. various other attempts at it but uh yeah yeah um so check it all out check, check it, it all out. out yeah dude great times man good yeah, times too, great bro. oldies see you around the neighborhood all right brother <laughs> oh man that was great that was a long one i told you i told you don't tell me that i didn't warn you we were gonna go for it scott and i talked for a long time it was funny because when we stopped we were like felt like it just started felt like we were just we're just getting going <laughs> so we'll have to do more we will have to do more and you know what i'm not going to do any more part one and part two you know splitting episodes that was i tested that out I, I think it's just keep it all in one lump sum 
this big lump sum here for you, a big clump of, of show for you to just smather around and listen to. Dude, those bees, <laughs> they were literally, I don't, I don't know what was going on there. They were all, I mean, we were outside, okay, and there's flowers and stuff, so that's good. They're pollinating and everything, but there was, um, they were right coming at my, both sides of my uh, headphones, so they were just all over the place. They were on me. I really need to get an EpiPen for these episodes. <laughs> oh, it's the only important thing is me getting a laugh out of it. That's what's important here. If I get a chuckle, that's it. Um, gosh, what a good time. There's, you know, things that I forgot about that Scott was bringing up and it's uh really pal- the, the palpable feeling of when we're tripping down memory lane, you know, when you do that, it's like, and specifically with this here, it's like, it was such a visceral feeling, you know, like I felt like I was right there, uh, you know, in the pirate house and with our buds at that time period, very, very, uh, a strong feeling, strong, strong vibe, strong vibe going. That was so much fun. Can't wait to do it again. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I, this is a long one. So you're, you're in it now you've come this far. Um, make sure to check out all of Scott's music, you know, links will be in the show notes. Just, uh, go for it. You know, all the Dr. Dog catalog and his, solo work you can hear the album we did together meanwhile came out this past year and um you know just a super super great guy and talented and uh and all our buddies who are listening just uh i'm, I'm just so happy to know you all and all our friends listening and to all all your friends and friends and friends may you all be well. I'll see you on the flip flop. May all your wishes come true. All my friends till the very end. Thank you for the fun and the play. Till next time, I hope you all be fine. Live to see another day. Live to see. Yeah. Uh-huh.